Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of Colony Drop, your favorite Gundam podcast. My name is Isaac. And my name is Brian. And this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the Gundam franchise. From the movies, the anime, the music, the models, the clothes, the food, you name it, we do it all, Isaac. <laughs> to the guillotines. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, tonight's going to be a special on guillotines, everybody. Well, speaking of guillotines, Ryan, what are we talking about on today's episode? And technically next week's episode, I guess. <laughs> Isaac, we are going to continue our UC Next 100 journey and talk about a very strange series called Mobile Suit Victory Gundam. Isaac, did you watch Victory back in the day? I saw some of it. Maybe I saw all of it. I don't think I saw all of it, but I saw enough of it to kind of get like the broad strokes and wow. <laughs> I dipped my toe into like, you know, the pond and it turned out it was like a, it was the Marianas Trench, you know, <laughs> like I had no idea how bizarre, how weird and how just so different this series would be. And um, I wouldn't say necessarily in a, I guess it's kind of getting ahead of us towards the end, but I wouldn't say necessarily in a bad way but not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so tonight we're going to review, discuss, celebrate, lament everything about the and, first and half puzzle. Of... <laughs> puzzle over. Yeah. <laughs> the first half of Victory Gundam. Uh so Victory is in a weird space for us Isaac right because this was one yeah. of the series along with Double Zeta, that was never really released during the original Gundam's journey across the sea. And so we were never able to get real DVDs for it back in the day. So when, I mean, I guess you could go out and buy some bootlegs. I, we didn't do that. I, I presume that, like me, you found some really bad fan subs and tried to watch those. Yeah, for me, though, I think it was the bootlegs. But Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, v Victory has been around for a while. It came out before turn a right so this must have been oh, yes. the late 90s i think victory came out april 1993 through march wow. of 1994 okay yeah and uh boy does this animation style show it uh <laughs> <laughs> on that note it's only really available on blu-ray isaac officially i don't think it's ever really even been up on gundam info the youtube channel no that should tell you something yeah but if you do buy the blu-rays which i did because they were not that expensive HD does this show wonders. That said, it still does have that like 90s. There's a particular time in the 90s, Isaac, where a lot of anime just looks hazy and sort of yeah uninteresting. And I would say this is one of those shows. Yeah, it was clearly designed for back when we had those big box TVs, no flat screens back in the day. It's clearly meant for that type of broadcast. And <laughs> a little bit of backstory to continue on, on this, Brian. Um, it is UC. This is in the Universal Century. And you could be forgiven for assuming it's not, <laughs> but um, I don't know how much this is a, a fanon, fan-held belief, or if this is just kind of rumors, but supposedly Tomino was depressed during the production of this series, and that's why it has a level of a, a hard tone to it. It's kind of a hard-boiled series. You know, there's no punches pulled. Yeah, it's very harsh, right? People die with sort of reckless abandon basically every episode. It's a very interesting point you bring up, Isaac. So that was always what I had read too. Not only was Tomino depressed, but also that during this time, his depression was mainly due to somehow hating women. <clears throat> Do you remember that wow. from, from back in the day? And that's why lots of, you know, particularly the strike team, it's an all-female <laughs> squad, which we'll get into here. They have a very high, uh, you know, turnover rate, I'll say. <laughs> and they're fought by the incel team. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you remember this theory, Isaac? No, no, I, I don't. I knew, I, I remember hearing about the depression or reading about it, but I don't remember specifically it relating to women. Okay. Which is kind of ironic because if it, assuming it is true, which to my knowledge it's not, but the women in the series are quite heroic and powerful, I'd say, at least from my point of view in 2023. Yeah, I would say so. There, there's, yeah. a, there's a good mix, right? You got the quiet kind of ones, kind of like Shakti, but then you've got, you know, Katagina and uh, Fuala and the whole strike team. They're very outspoken, right? So right. It, it sort of yeah. runs the whole gamut here. But so I did look into the depression thing, Isaac, and, and here's what I think the answer is. And I think it's our responsibility to sort of, if we're going to talk about this, we have to just sort of dispel the part that I think is not particularly true. Mm-hmm. So I can't find a definitive reason for his depression at the time. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. That's not something that he's likely to just talk about or come out and write about. Right. But I think the consensus is the following. Production on Zeta was rough, and a lot of people had a bad time. And so this is not about that show, so we'll save that for another day. However, that's important. But if you think about from Zeta to Victory, during Victory, Tamino had been working on mostly or nothing but Gundam for seven to eight years. He worked on Zeta from 85 to 86, Double Zeta from 86 to 87, Charge Counterattack in 88, F91 in 91, and Victory in 93. And right before Victory, the last thing he worked on was F91, which was a failed series, you know, converted to a film. So obviously that was not a good experience either. The consensus is also that Tomino does not like sequels. So if you put those two things together, you could see how he would not be having a good time. Yeah. Additionally, in 1993, Isaac, during Victory, Bandai purchased Sunrise against Tomino's wishes. He did not like that, primarily because Bandai at the time, and really still sort of today, is, is a toy company. And they were already selling Gundam toys and, and models, yeah. but now they were in charge. Now they're your boss, right? So the new Bandai executive caused a lot of issues with the production of Victory, with their goal being to sell more toys and models over perhaps telling a good story. So examples of this are Tomino reportedly wanted the Gundam not to show up until episode four or five. But they really wanted it in episode one, so that's why the show starts out of order. Did you notice that, Isaac? That was very confusing for a viewer, even one like myself, who has seen most other Gundam series. Brian, at the top of my notes, it says, wow, the series just kind of starts. (laughs) Yes. And so that was not what he intended. Okay. So other things that they may have done. I can't, you know, you can't find, you know, real concrete evidence of this, but it all kind of makes sense. Other things that they may have done include changing mobile suit designs for toy reasons, potentially even insisting on the inclusion of motorcycles slash the motorcycle focus. I saw one person saying that one of the executives just really loved motorcycles, and so he really wanted motorcycles in the show so that they could probably sell some motorcycle toys or something. Oh, wow. You know what this reminds me of, Isaac? You ever listen to uh, Kevin Smith tell the story about how when he (laughs) was hired to write Superman Lives and the the producer really wanted to get the goddamn spider in in the movie? Right, because they, they, the spider's the most vicious killer in the animal kingdom. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> listeners, if you haven't heard that story, go look up Kevin Smith, <laughs> Superman Lives. But I'm imagining that poor Tomino went through the same thing here, but with his dude and motorcycles. Yeah. Okay, take all those things. You combine all of the above, and the likeliest explanation is basically that Tomino just he had essentially had it with Gundam at this time. He said, screw it. And then just essentially did whatever to make victory tank, possibly even the franchise. Cause he's not having a good time. <laughs> so that's kind of oh what we God. got. But here's the thing, Isaac notice. I didn't say anything about women because yeah. often I see people say it's because he was in love with a woman. 
possibly a voice actress, and she either left him for another man or cheated on him, etc. What? So he became angry at women. I mean, not not to presume too much about Tomino-san, but this was the 90s, so wasn't he already kind of middle-aged? I would have assumed he was married by then, no? Is he single? Huh. I have no idea. I mean, I'm okay. not sure. Huh. I don't often see a, a wife mentioned, but I'm not sure. It's, good. it's a good question. I mean, well, the only times we see him is like a company gundam related photos that's so true. like she might not be there. <laughs> like how often yeah <laughs> i mean dude's pretty busy he's been working a long time maybe he just doesn't have time i don't know huh. the two people most often identified i see are it was something to do with sayla's voice actress i believe her name is yo inoue and the reason there is i think people latch on to the fact that she was just all of a sudden not in zeta and not really in charge counterattack they think something must have happened there and the second one is uh, Beltachka's voice actress, which is, uh, her name is Maria Kawamura. Same thing there. They just assume that because, you know, Chan abruptly replaces her in charge counterattack. Uh-huh. I kind of get that on the surface, but I don't believe either of those are true. Sayla's voice actress, she was just simply out of the country. I've heard people say that she was potentially on an African safari <laughs> during Zeta's production, and she basically just couldn't go. Apparently, she used to just really like to take international vacations, and she was out of the country often. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you know, Isaac, Japan just, they don't like to recast voice, voice actors, so she was just excluded from the show. As for Bill Tachika, the popular theory is that because Kawamura is married to Mamoru Nagano, a designer on Zeta Gundam, that, that Tomino and her had a thing, but she ended up with Nagano instead. Is this plausible? Maybe. Even if it did happen, I don't think it's as disastrous as people think, because if you look at the rest of his work, Tomino worked with both of them again several times. Kawamura yeah. played Quest in Char's Counterattack. Nagano was a designer on Brain Powered, uh, another show Tomino did later. So if it really had that much of an impact to him, I feel like he would just cut them out of his life entirely. He wouldn't bring them back to work with them again <laughs> on more projects, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Unless they uh, they bury the hatchet. They, uh, <laughs> they, they bury the katana, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out more about that when we interview Tomino-san. <laughs> Coming up, listeners. You heard it here first. <laughs> the exclusive colony drop sunset interview with Tomino-san. <laughs> so all those together, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't. There's no authoritative source here either way. But I don't think you know he's gonna air out his dirty laundry like that. But I, I see a lot of people repeating that. Oh, I heard this. I heard that. I feel like it's irresponsible to say that with specific people, you know, and accuse them of certain things. So <laughs> yeah, we're essentially just repeating rumors from the '90s. Like since there's since unlike today, there was like no hard video proof or recording or anything like that. Right. We're really just regurgitating what maybe some fans in Japan said, which spread around the world through like forums that were in the, around the 19. 90s you know this this is all based off like comments on like a geo cities forum or something <laughs> like that <laughs> it's it's spread through an angel fire web ring <laughs> <laughs> exactly so my point is i think people should stop saying these rumors about these particular yeah. individuals because there doesn't really seem to be anything concrete about it and if you go find an authoritative source and one of them talks about it fine but i even found an interview with uh kawamura you know, from not that long ago. And someone asked her about Tomino and she didn't have anything negative to say. So yeah, I think there's nothing to it. I think he was just having a bad time during production. And he was probably fed up with Bandai and in all their, their changes they wanted to make. So why am I telling you <laughs> any of this, Isaac? Cause you're a diligent podcast host who's done exhaustive detective work that would rival any, any PI. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to love this next part. Okay. When the Blu-ray set came out, 
Tomino put out a statement that was featured on the official Victory Gundam website that said the following. Are you ready for this? Oh boy. I'm sitting down. You're going you're gonna to jump out of your chair. I found two different uh, sort of translations. There was one guy on Reddit. Uh, his name escapes me now. I, I apologize. He said, the, the statement says, quote, I want to completely reject this work. These kind of results are the full responsibility of the director. If you should, by some mistake, watch this Blu-ray, try looking for what's bad in Mobile Suit Victory Gundam. If even one person notices, then I believe that there will have been meaning in releasing this Blu-ray. Uh, another news uh, site called So Japan that had some excerpt. He asked fans to look out for what is bad about Victory and stated in his opening sentence that the anime is, quote, all negative. He then warned the people that if they did make the, quote, mistake of buying the Blu-ray, they could find what's wrong with the series. The warning by the legendary anime director is not the first, as for Victory Gundam's limited edition DVD release, director Tomino infamously said, this DVD should not be bought as it is not intended to be seen. Wow. So with that, Isaac, let's watch the show. Let's- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, if somebody told me that, especially if I consumed like all Gundam up until that point, I don't know how to respond. I'd, I'd be kind of s- speechless, right? <laughs> You'd be like, what? <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, we're, instructed, we're instructed not to buy it. And if we're instructed to buy it, we're instructed that it's going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Oh, boy. Quite the difficult production. <laughs> not a ringing endorsement from the guy that made it. No, you, you imagine, you imagine before like, what, what's next? It's gonna be, um, it's gonna be episode ten through uh, twelve, right, for Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You imagine George Lucas <laughs> tweeting <laughs> like, "Well, this new series is coming out. They they kind of held my hand to the fire, and you know they really ran the show. It's gonna be a horrible trilogy, and don't see it." <laughs> It's going to be bad when you see it. Like, Star Wars fans would probably be like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially what what he's saying here. He torpedoed it on day one. <laughs> but what I love about it, what I love about the Japanese is, like, they, they didn't care and they still put it out. They put his statement out on the official website. Like, yep, here's the DVD. This is what the guy says about it. Buy it if you want. Wow. And that kicks us off into Victory Gundam, the maybe the weirdest UC series I've seen to date. I think it's definitely the weirdest, uh, definitely weirder than Double Zeta. I feel like at least Double Zeta, you could tell that it was in the sort of the same world. But yeah, definitely Victory's just on its own thing. How do you imagine the motorcycle like instructions going in like corporate, like a a conference room or something? Like, do do you imagine it kind of the the Kevin Smith way where Tomino-san was like, well, you know, we got a lot of designs for, you know, mobile suits and interesting mobile armors. And then the executive just cuts him off. He's like, yeah, 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 that's great and all. But you kind of have to have almost constant two-wheeled mechs <laughs> fighting two-wheeled vehicles of death and tomino sounds like why what why that's like this is gundam it's about you know humanoid robots and giant mecha it's not really about anything on wheels that's kind of a transformers thing or maybe maybe a macross thing no no, no you don't understand uh, <laughs> two-wheeled vehicles like motorcycles they're the most exhilarating machines on earth <laughs> Yeah, I kind of think that maybe the the executive, maybe he, you know, he got his bonus. He went out and bought a motorcycle, fell in love with it, thought he was like hot, and then had someone draw up some motorcycle designs. And he came into the meeting with like a like a folder of designs, like he was all of a sudden gonna impress. And it probably just didn't go over well. I'm sure there was a lot of screaming. Canada. What if we get Canada's motorcycle and we put two guns on the back? It would be unstoppable against the Gundams. <laughs> 
the one kind of does look like Kanada's bike, but like Kanada's bike looks better. So quick interjection here. Wouldn't you know it, a month after we recorded this, as we were doing some research for the Tomino-san episode, I stumbled upon the wonderful fan site for Turning Gundam, run by a person named Fees, called Suki no Mayu, or Moon's Cocoon, like the ending song. On this website, there's a, a great article about uh, the production of Victory Gundam as a lead-in to the sort of the production of, of uh, Turning Gundam. And this article has probably the best explanation for the, the rise of biking, uh, as, as I can find on the internet. So I'm just going to read one, one passage from that that could give a, a better insight as to why bikes made it in the show. The article is called The History and Production of Turning Gundam, Part 1, Victory Gundam and Battling Depression. And in here about, oh, I don't know, quarter of the way down the page, one of the paragraphs states, One time in a meeting with Bandai executives, they demanded that he, referring to Tomino, include battleships into the show in an effort to further appeal to younger audiences. Tomino lashed out by saying he'd make ground-based battleships with wheels on them. To his surprise, they accepted his preposterous proposal, and the TV station found no qualms either as long as ratings stayed the course. So it's not quite the Kevin Smith scenario, but it's pretty close. So listeners, I think what I'm saying here is watch victory at your own peril. I'll say this. I wouldn't say I had a bad time. I just had an interesting experience. You know, it it would, it would almost be like eating, I don't know, sour candy for the first time. You're like, <laughs> whoa. You're like, I guess I can kind of get into it. I probably can't eat this every day, <laughs> but it's interesting to say the least. We're going to put that on the next edition of the Blu-ray box. It's like eating sour candy <laughs> yeah. for the first time. Isaac from Colony Drop. <laughs> Compared to the sour candy, it's, it's a little weird. <laughs> but even on top of all that, Isaac, it would be one thing if all this was happening in the background and you ended up with a show that was very coherent. Listeners, we've done a lot of summaries. We've done a lot of reviews. This was the hardest summary I've ever had to try to attempt to write because so much stuff happened with sometimes so little impact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that right now, Brian, because I was thinking to myself, I essentially, maybe like you, maybe we're in the same boat. I had to take notes to kind of try to force myself to grasp what was happening uh, <laughs> and get the lay of the land. Absolutely. For a while, it seemed like almost nothing was happening in the grand scheme of things. And then yeah. things started happening very quickly. <laughs> yes. It results in a, in a show that's very uneven, right? I think we we take a really long time to get going. And then all of a sudden, like, it gets really good. But then you're confused. Like, was all this time I spent getting here worth it? Like, I'm not sure. Right. But, okay. So let's attempt to do a, a summary here, Isaac. Another thing that would have helped Isaac, at least it would have helped me. And if it would have helped me, then I think it would have helped an average viewer. This show really could have used an opening narration that sets the yeah. groundwork a little bit for the world in which we are about to inhabit. Yeah, the narration we do get, it's it's almost too vague. It's like a commentary on humanity, not so much the actual setting, you know? <laughs> right. So here's my background. Ready? During the UC-140s, a woman named Maria Pure Armonia discovered that she possessed psychic abilities to heal people. Already you're like, are you sure this is a Gundam show? Yeah, it's... She became popular for obvious reasons and spread her beliefs, referred to as Mariaism or Mariahism, maybe, that most conflicts and problems are caused by the patriarchy. And so she aims to restructure society as a matriarchy. <laughs> of course, the great irony is that there's only, like, two women in the Zanskar military. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways. 
And so to, to make this happen, what does she do? She forms an alliance with a man. In UC-145, Isaac, she forms an alliance with a man named Fonce Kagedi. Another man from Jupiter, Isaac. People of course, need to stop trusting people from Jupiter. <laughs> Brian, that's so spherist of you to say. <laughs> it is, but I, I get to feel like I got a lot of manga to back me up on this. You were just a spherist. <laughs> <laughs> he uses her to form his own party inside to at the colony called Amelia. Kagedi's party seizes control of Amelia by executing some government ministers via the guillotine and establishes the Zanscare Empire in UCO-149. After that, our story picks up four years later in UCO-153. But before that, we're going to say a lot of terms probably tonight, Isaac, and I feel like the show did a very bad job of explaining some of these terms. Yeah. Because even I was confused. Right. We have the Zanscare Empire. Big bads. We have BESPA, which stands for Ballistic Equipment and Space Patrol Armory. That refers to the Zanscare's Imperial Army and was originally at least partially composed of the Side 2 branch of the Federation's SNRI, or Strategic Naval Research Institute. Of course. If you recall, listeners, in F91, SNRI replaced Anaheim Electronics as a, a sort of supplier of mobile suits for the Federation, and there must have been SNRI branch at Side 2, and so when um, Zanscare took over, they subsumed all the resources and, and stuff at that uh, SNRI branch, presumably which helped them make some mobile suits. So right. in the show, though, they also talk about yellow jackets all the time. That is both a pun and a branch of BESPA. So in Japan, at least according to the wiki, they use the same sound for B and V. So it sounds like VESPA, which is the word for wasp. So that's why uh-huh. their little logo is a, is a wasp. So they call them the yellow jacket. But the Yellow Jackets are also supposedly an elite BESPA subdivision spearheading the invasion of Earth. So Isaac, this is what I like to consider unnecessary complications in your story. If I'm the viewer, I just want to know one bad guy. I don't need to know two subdivisions deep of the bad guy, right? Yeah. They all kind of mean the same thing. BESPA might as well have just been called Zanskir Armed Forces. It really made no difference. No, it didn't. Ye- yellow Jackets... It almost sounds like just a squad name, you know? Like, for, for all Xeon's flaws, we never really got tied down to, into people saying, oh, so-and-so is from the Earth Attack Force, or so-and-so is in the, uh, you know, the Mobile Assault Force, you know? It, right. it never really got down to that tentacle unless you were, like, reading about, I don't know, in-depth lore or something. And then perhaps something that really confused me, I don't know if it confused you, but when we talk about things like Casarelia, that's sort of where our hero, Uso, lives. They never said this in the show. You can kind of pick up on it from a few lines here or there, but it's very sparse. But it's made very clear in our favorite book, Isaac, Mobile Suit Gundam, The Official Guide. So it says, In the second UC century, Earth's sparse population is concentrated in legal residential areas like Uig, formerly Prague. The rest of the planet consists of nature reserves like Casarelia, which are officially off-limits to human habitation. So throughout the show, occasionally someone will refer to Uso as a illegal Earth immigrant, and that's what they mean. He's living in Casarelia where no one is supposed to live. But I just don't feel that they really pointed that out very well. It was a little confusing. Did you get that? No. And, and, and what was even more bizarre is that like oftentimes it was Zanscare like, pointing out who's an illegal immigrant. You know, Zanscare's right. coming from space. Like, what what the <laughs> hell difference does it make to them as far as they're concerned? Everybody's just, you know, a civilian waiting to be occupied. <laughs> but yeah, I was under the assumption that, oh, 
kind of like at any time whenever the Federation's running the show, if you're from space, you're really not supposed to be on Earth. So by default, anyone on on Earth that's not really supposed to be there, you're an illegal immigrant. You need to be back yep. in the colonies, you know, and, and that's it. So it made it seem like the Earth was having a very serious immigration problem because it left and right there were illegal immigrants and, you know, BESPA slash the Yellow Jackets kind of, they, they weren't policing it, but they, they seemed to be so aware of the situation they could kind of almost assume certain people were illegal immigrants or they'd look at a house and be like, oh, that's an illegal immigrant's house, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like where does the invader get off correcting the legality of your immigration status? Like when they get yeah. down there, all of a sudden they're interested in, in the earth laws. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Speaking of invader, that was another weakness too. It felt like the Danskar Empire sent down like 50 people. To like mm-hmm. just this mm-hmm. part of you know Europe or Eurasia, and it, you really didn't get the scale that you know the Zanskar Empire had taken over huge parts of the world like you did with uh, you know Zeon or Neo Zeon or the Titans or whatever. It made the Zanskar Empire in this first half on Earth felt very small. I would agree. Overall, the conflict felt smaller in a way that was very confusing, right? Because if you're coming from a one-year war time frame, a grips conflict time frame. I was confused how they were fighting back about with this empire with like one or two ships. But, you know, like you said, there weren't that many Bespa people down there, it, it felt like. And there was just so much Federation apathy, which we'll get into a little later, I think. But all right, so let, let's do the, the log line here, Isaac, real quick sure. before we go any further. All right, from Gundam, the official guide, here's the, the one paragraph summary. A further 30 years have passed since the events of Gundam F91. The Federation's control has grown steadily weaker, and the resurgent space colonies have begun forming their own empires and warring amongst themselves. At last, one of these space empires sets its sights on the mother planet Earth, and a civilian resistance group is formed to oppose its relentless campaign of conquest. Wow. Brian, that implies that the colonies have built their own armies and their own nations now, and they're just fighting each other like where's that story we don't see any of that besides zanskar we don't see other sides with their their militaries and stuff like that well i think for that isaac you can read crossbone gundam dust and uh you know crossbone gundam 12 x2 it was quite frustrating and a, a little aggravating this first half just being so puzzled wondering where's the federation where did they go you know, are they in space all fighting these other empires? And, you <laughs> no, know, the, the Zan- <laughs> yeah, Zanskar gets to run around? Or, like, what what happened to the Federation? How could they be gone, essentially, before Zanskar's really done much, you know? I agree. That was the number one note I had of just, what is this Federation apathy? If you think about it, the Zanskar Empire was declared in UC-149. Our story is happening in UC-153. I don't remember how long it took Zanskar to take over whatever they had at the beginning of the show, but the Federation had four years to get their act together and they didn't do it. And from what I gather from the show, Isaac, the Federation is essentially taken down by economic collapse, you know, rather than colony drops. It's essentially uh-huh. a political heat death. And it's so anticlimactic, but I guess it's fitting. Yeah. All the colony drops in the world couldn't take it out, but it had to be just this corruption and lack of care and lack of planning and that right. kind of thing. It's, it's, it reminds me, Isaac, of when like mobsters go away for tax evasion. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not with a bang, but with a whimper that this right. that the Federation that survived all these space fascist movements and all of that, it 
it's ultimately just rendered impotent and just non-existent government that just faded away. Government in name only. Again, th- this is in the bizarre column for this series that we we just see nothing, almost nothing at least, of the Earth Federation. And just this hinting at, at wars in space. And I, my headcanon, at least initially, was, oh, Zanskar only has like the smallest foothold on Earth. Like they barely control this, this small part of like Europe or Eurasia. So, of course, the Federation doesn't really care because, I mean, look at the area. It's just you know, a bunch of people in like the woods <laughs> in small towns, <laughs> you know, there, there, this doesn't even look like there's a ton of resources there. Zanskir is pretty much hey, just there. they got there. wood, you know, they can yeah. make mobile suits out of wood. <laughs> the Zanskir empire is really just there because they know that the league military factories are there. That's about yeah. it. That seemed to be the only reason they'd ever be running around there. <laughs> yeah. And just all we got out of the Federation, at least in the first half, beyond a certain few members that are helping our, our heroes was just pure, apathy and laziness i mean even the mobile suits that they contributed to the cause were lazy their, their mobile suit development has apparently fallen off a cliff what they contributed in the first half were the james gun and the javelins and those were first manufactured back in uc1 um 119 and uc123 this is uc153 isaac those suits are 30 years old oh, that's horrible and it, 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 more more so we see a solemnesses at one point <laughs> <laughs> Which, or even older than that, they really show how far the Earth Federation's fallen. It's it's essentially in the grave at this point, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's on its death knell for sure. And then we got that one episode towards the end, Isaac, remember, where uh, involving the solar battery, which I have a question about, but right, where the, it turns out that the Federation already turned it off to anticipate Zanskar taking over Earth. Like they like they thought ahead far enough to be like, ah, they're gonna take it over, so don't send them any power. We don't want to help them. But like they didn't think ahead far enough to actually like go fight them and stop the problem from occurring. Yeah, this is again, this is such bizarre and illogical too, right? Because Earth has always been like the Federation's. That's their their home territory. You know, they they can almost lose every colony or, or and even Luna. But as long as they keep Earth, they always punch back and win. So right. the fact that they're able to give up Luna, uh, Earth, does that mean by now the Federation is just, is it just Luna? Is it just, you know, whatever few colonies are still loyal to them? Or are they just done? I don't know. I do know that both the League Militaire and Zanskare have factories on the moon. So Federation is clearly not in full control of Luna wow. either. Maybe to some extent, but definitely not yeah. altogether. Oh, boy. All right, with that, let's try to go through this show. I split this up into three sort of areas, Isaac. I have the journey to Gibraltar, which takes way too long. Then you've got sort of the battle at Gibraltar, and then you've got the space section, or I'll I'll say space and the battle of Kyla's Gili. Right. So our story begins, like I said, in UC-153 in Casarilia. Our hero, Uso Ewan, is a good-natured illegal Earth immigrant and budding new type who accidentally paraglides into a, a prototype Zanskare suit called a Shoku, which is piloted by our Shar clone Isaac Chronicle Asher, uh, who's in the midst of dueling with League Militaire's pilot Marbet Fingerhat. Can't believe that's her last name, but it is. <laughs> in a <laughs> who she's piloting a Victory core fighter here, and Uso kind of eventually commandeers the Shoku in an embarrassing turn of events for Chronicle. And uh, Uso takes Marbet home to tend to her wounds. You know, we meet some other League military members. A lot of our main cast, Isaac, we meet them right away. We got Odello, Warren, Susie. They're sort of war orphans. All three of them were from a town called Lagrain or Lagran. 
but they were chased out after the Zanskar came through with the guillotines and the and bombs. And so through this whole first part, Isaac, we're going to hear about Lagrain, then we're going to go to Ewig, and then Casarelia, then Bakine, I think that's it. Is that how you pronounce it? Bakine? And sure. then to Gibraltar. <clears throat> and so we're going to get sort of the same flavor everywhere we go, all to get to Gibraltar. This is the part, Isaac, where I think you'd probably agree, sounds like. This, this whole part took, what, 15-ish, 15, 16 episodes, and I feel like we could have condensed it to like eight Oh God! They were around like this wooded area near these towns, just just doing a whole lot of nothing, <laughs> like almost nothing was happening. Just meaningless battles. You know, Zanskir like wiped out like a small town or a small city, but other than that, it was just kind of minimal, pointless battles. And wow. <laughs> it felt, I mean, there was some character development, but it definitely felt like they were doing the same thing a lot, right? And you never want to get into that routine that early in a show, I don't think. Right. Especially, and like you said, a lot of the scenery was the same. It's one thing if your scenery changes wherever you go, but it, when every town, when it becomes hard to tell where you are in terms of relative to where you were and where you're going, I think the, that turns the viewer off. Yeah. You can't let us get tired. You have to move things ahead. You know, yeah. and we were just stuck in like a nowhere zone of, of Europe. It, it was just <laughs> so weird. So what did you think about the show queue, Isaac? Zanscare, to their credit, they have a lot of mobile suits. Yeah, listeners, there are a lot of mobile suits in this show. So at least it, maybe you don't like a lot of them, but it's, they sure make yeah. up for it in quantity. Because every three episodes, you're getting a new mobile suit. This one clearly took on the name Yellow Jacket. <laughs> right, like, like, yeah. like, if Zanskir looked all like this, I'd be like, of course, they're using the insects, you know, as their model yeah. for mobile suits, which they kind of do to an extent. But yeah, it was okay. I thought, you know, kind of. I, I wouldn't say I would like to see it as the whole through the whole series as Chronicle Asher's uh, mobile suit, but it was an okay first mobile suit. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it had a good design that was different from what we've seen before enough to be recognizable. To, to your point, Isaac, I wonder if they thought, oh, if this is the Yellow Jackets, maybe they'll use this the whole show or something. Right. So we know now that Odello and co, as part of the League Militaire, their city, LaGrange, has been destroyed. So we're kind of hinting that, you know, that's going to come for Uso. The Uso flies away. He, he flees from Chronicle. Marbet leaves to go find Uso. At this point, Uso is with the League Militaire, sort of. He hasn't really joined Isaac. That's kind of like also part of this beginning, right? Like you're sitting here going, is Uso going to join or is he not going to join the League Militaire? I feel like they beat around the bush too long with that. Yeah, and like a lot of the back and forth. Oh, he goes through a lot of pilot angst, which we've kind of seen does. through a lot of pilots, but Uso felt like he dragged it on. <laughs> He's only 13. I, I think he's maybe... Let me know if you agree with this. Is he the most likable Gundam protagonist? Or at least most non-hateable? He, he seems like a le legitimately nice kid. Yeah, I'd agree to that. I'd, I'd also almost add in that he might be a little bland. Or mm, like his, because his of that? Yeah. yeah, his personality style is, I don't want to be killing people, but now I have to make the hard decision to actually you know, fight to protect the people I care for. Which yeah. is, sure, that has like a layer or two to it, but it's also nothing too special as far as the Gundam pilots we've seen. Yeah, that's fair. So they he joins this League military convoy. They call it the Camion or the Camion. I guess that's the name of the truck, I think, that they drive. Yeah. And they are on their way to this new town, Uwig. 
because that's where their factory is. It is secretly manufacturing the victory gun to Isaac. And they get there to only to find that Uwig has been bombed to hell by Zanscare. And thankfully, the factory, that obviously Zanscare didn't know where it was, but the factory's intact, so they load up the victory Gundams. And here's where we learn that the League military's goal, Isaac, is basically to fight hard enough to stir the Federation into action. Everyone's basically wondering, why is the Federation not helping? And so these people, all these old geezers, these young children and these women have taken upon themselves to fight and see if they can spur the big guy back into action. Do you think it's going to work, Isaac? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> They're already on Earth. They're building an orbital weapon. Again, the series setting defies logic. I'm just scratching my head. We've You're fighting to get the Federation to decide to fight? Like, there's nothing... This is unprecedented in Gundam. You know, it's just such a bizarre concept because at Neil Zeon's worst, at the Titans' <laughs> worst, like, the Federation was still there. They were having a role. They existed. You could clearly see them. Maybe they you know, weren't exactly on the right side, but that that was easy to change. Here, you just don't see Federation at all. Yeah, they're just a non-participant. They're a non-factor yeah, just... almost in this. I mean, maybe a little bit. They're given some resources here or there. But even when they do, they're not, you know, you can tell their heart's not in it. So the continued Federation apathy, that's going to be the, the theme of at least the first half. So there's other, some other people we met, right? We got Shakti, that's Uso's childhood friend who also lives right next to him in Casarilia. You got Katagina. How would you describe her, Isaac? Does she, she does, does she also live in Casarilia? I mean, she's a little more privileged yeah. than Uso and Shakti, though, right? Yeah, I mean, oh God, her decisions. Like, <laughs> I, she she's clearly in the area. I'll say that. Um, they're friends. She's yeah. part of their little community. So yeah, she's she's part of the team. And then she gets this wild harebrained idea to become a, an embedded spy. <laughs> but like. The whole point of a spy is that, like, you can report back and send information. You don't just join the enemy and we don't see you ever again. <laughs> yeah, I. so Katagina is an interesting character. I think she is this series' frustrating characters. Tomino always writes some sort of frustrating character. Uh, that's the word I'm going to use. She is this series' quest. She is this series' Rekoa. She is this series' time-condensed Barona that does just right, yeah. weird stuff, right? She strikes me as someone who hates their privilege so much that they just go and do something the exact opposite of what they should do just to feel something or be different and then justify it to themselves somehow later. Yeah, I would put that as she's very gung-ho, but to the point of doing something that's the wrong thing. God, imagine her as like a second pilot. You know, she probably could right. help that a lot. On the Shrike team yeah. or something else. Who knows? Piloting a captured Zanscare suit that they paint, I don't know, blue or something. But yeah, running off to join Zanscare. And that was another thing. Like, at certain points, I was wondering, how come all these officers in Zanscare, like, really nobody's like, what is she doing here? <laughs> <laughs> We're having a meeting. Why is this civilian from Earth serving as tea? You know, it's like, right. it's we're already compromised. She's in the room. <laughs> Yeah, she's just very strange. And she sort of like joins Zanscare right away, but doesn't really admit it to either herself or her friends. She leaves Uso a note and tells one of them that she's going to be a spy. And then later on, she tells Connie, one of the members of the Shrike team, that go tell Uso that Shakti's okay. I mean, that's almost worse than like just flat out joining Zanscare outright and 
I don't know. I feel like making it seem like to your friends that you are still a spy or maybe you really haven't joined them is like is worse to me. Yeah, it, this is the long line of turncoat characters in Gundam. You know, in Seed we had, what's her name? Pink hair. Yeah. Who, like, even though Zaf wiped out her, you know, her father and destroyed her home at the colony, she joined, <laughs> she joined Zaf, you know, <laughs> and then who, who else we had that was really weird? Uh, again, Cecily Fairchild, who became Vera and Rona. Yeah. They attack her colony, you know, they're responsible for who knows how much d- the death of her friends and stuff. She joins the Crossbone Vanguard. You know, why do these things happen? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> She's one of those frustrating characters. Same thing with Quest, you know. She yeah. jumps off with, with Shahrazz and and, and uh, you know Katagina kind of did the same thing here, yeah. right? She oh, she fell God. in with with Chronicle, and <laughs> and clearly at some point they're they, you know they start to do it, and they're now a couple. And I guess the part I left out is there's sort of a little bit of a love triangle here. Uso really likes Katagina. She's a little bit older than Uso. Shakti kind of likes Uso, but Uso doesn't see Shakti that way, at least not yet. So, But Katagina does not return Uso's crush. So Uso is reluctant to let Katagina go, which is maybe the most frustrating part of Uso's character. Yeah, and at Chronicle Asher, to his credit, if there is kind of a romance angle with him and Katagina, it's really subtle, right? Because he, he was her knight in shining armor in that horrible scene where she was almost assaulted by that um, Zanskar soldier. Oh, yeah. And he did you know, save her from that. But um, other than that, he really just seems to kind of ardently believe that she's she's with the Empire. She's born on Earth, but she's gung ho about the Empire. So, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, you can join us and <laughs> be my assistant. <laughs> it gave me a lot of the vibes. Remember when um when Rao took on um yeah Flay Her pink hair. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that. Exactly, but Chronicle is much more of a gentleman than Rao. <laughs> <laughs> little, yes, that's true. Rao had a much better mask, but we'll get to his mask in a bit. Oh, God, Chronicle's <laughs> mask. <laughs> An- another character we have is the dog, Isaac, and the baby. So we, we've got Flanders, the dog, uh, and Carlman, the baby. We see Carlman's mom die, which was atrocious, and then they pick up Carlman, and he becomes a member of the League Military. Uso's going to have a lot of fights until he gets to Gibraltar. Here he fights the, I think next one of the fights he has is he fights someone in the Godzorla. Do you remember the Godzorla, Isaac? <laughs> the Godzorla. This <laughs> was the green this one with like the round shell face. I thought this was okay. Yeah. The face is a little weird. It looks, it looks fine. Oh God. Yeah. This thing was one and done, wasn't it? We didn't see it again. It did so yeah, poorly. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think this is the one though where the uh, the Zanskar guy piloted it with like painkillers or something maybe. Oh, this thing was so brief compared to the other Zanskar models we see mass produced. Yeah, oh, we're going over all of them listeners. We will not leave any stone unturned. <laughs> so Chronicle captures the Count Isaac. This was a big turning point. The Count was the leader. He sort of been presented to us as the leader of the League military yeah. at least on Earth or at least our little branch of it that we have been following. That's also when the, uh, Chronicle took Katagina, so she's now with him. But then Chronicle saw, did he see Shakti or he heard her singing, right? And he has a memory of a girl that looks exactly like Shakti. And we know that Chronicle's the queen's brother, so this is the first time we start to think something might be up. There might be a connection there between Chronicle and Shakti, Isaac. What's it going to be? Is there a space princess in our future, <laughs> Isaac? Did you feel space princess coming on? A space princess in Gundam? That never happens, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hit all the tropes on the way here. Apparently. <laughs> Uso then fights the another type of mobile suit, which becomes pretty common here, Isaac, which is the Tomliot. 
These were the purple ones that were flying. They had beam rotors. Oh, we haven't even talked about beam rotors. Oh, my God. But they, they yeah. drop from space. They're part of the Pippin... Pippinidin? 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 I'll say this about the Tom Leots. As far as I was concerned, this was one of the strongest connections to Crossbone because these, next to a Den and Zon, they clearly hired the same engineering team, right? I agree. They look I agree. so yep. much like a Den and Zon. Mm-hmm. So for me, this was like, okay, this is like one of the few strands <laughs> connecting us to the rest of the UC because clearly Zanscare was paying attention to the Crossbone Vanguard and they took a lot of their designs, you know, kind of the goggles for the, uh, the optic sensors. And in this case, they, they almost took the whole Den and Zon and just renamed <laughs> it. Um, but yes, getting back to your uh, propellers, I put in my notes, tech regressed because even Zaku's didn't need propellers to get around. You know, <laughs> they had their own vernier thrusters and stuff and you could just boost wherever you wanted. But oh God, propellers just in combat, they always seem so slow. And the league military, a, a thrown together militia is really able to fight these anyways without propellers <laughs> with the gun yeah easies. so i thought a lot about this and a lot of people say that that there's a tech regression even though if you look at the victory gundam specs on paper it's better than the f91 doesn't really seem that way but the one big thing that the victory gundam has that nothing else has is it has a miniaturized minofsky flight system meaning it can hover like a battleship without any extra thrusters or anything like that right all the zanskar suits don't have that the gun easies don't have that. So Zanskar has the beam rotors in order for them to stay airborne for so long. They're basically indefinite. You know, the Zakus and stuff, they could fly up, but they couldn't really stay up that long. Okay, That's what she said. But, but yeah, <laughs> it, it still feels a little bit regression, though, because by Crossbone, transforming mobile suits were done. You know, nobody did it. It was a dead end. It was just over. It was old technology. You know, the Jupiter Empire didn't even do it. So to bring them back now in such high numbers for the Earth invasion, it just seems like someone on the Zanscare's leadership was just obsessed with propellers, obsessed with helicopters, <laughs> and was like, well, you know, it's really the most, you know, modular type of, of vehicle we can have. <laughs> we need to send them in large numbers, and I feel like they didn't perform, perform very well. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is they just felt that the transformable thing really worked on Earth because it allowed you to sort of cruise rather than being in mobile suit mode all the time with your arm out, you know, with, with your rotor pulling you along. Yeah, but the thing is, a lot of them came from space, so they have a helicopter mode in space. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, maybe they were... <laughs> what? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were, uh, you know, made in space for Earth and they came to... I don't know. But uh, look, beam uh, rotors, I'm not trying to excuse yeah. their existence. That's a, that's a weird thing. Yeah. So, G- Getting back to the Count, though, you felt that was his title, right? He's actually like a, a nobleman on Earth. So I, I was confused about that. I mean, I assume that he has, unless they're just giving him that title as part of the League Military Organization. But um, I mean, he is on Earth and he is older. So it is possible that maybe he is some sort of upper class, you know, nobility for lack of a better term. Yeah, that was my headcanon. You know, Lee Militaire, clearly a kind of French-sounding name. So they're based in Europe, and they're really funded by old wealthy people, like, you know, a count, someone that's part of the old aristocracy. Maybe he was a family that was behind the Earth Federation. Yeah, they're the only ones with the money and, I guess, the will to organize and fight Zanskir. 
Yeah, that makes sense. It, it also makes sense um, in the sense that if you're the league military and you're looking for that funding that you're talking about, if you secure someone like the Count on your side, that would give you a big boost in morale, right? You could say, oh, th- you know, this yeah. person's on our side. It clearly came off as he was running the show. So I, yeah. I think the, yeah. my my headcanon is the implication was he paid for those factories. This is kind of his territory and turf. Very well could be, yeah. Um, obviously, Chronicle sensed that he was the leader, and they captured him, and they actually... What did they do to him, Isaac? This is the first in Gundam, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. They, uh, well, they torture him brutally first, which was they do. very graphic. Oh, my God. Tape his they eyes open. The, yeah, they gave him the, what was it, the Ludovico treatment from A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> they just <laughs> kept his eyes open and tortured him. Oh, God. He took it like a champ, though, because he wasn't really screaming in pain. <laughs> or maybe he stopped. They forced his mouth open with, like, this metal trap thing. That was horrible, oh, too. Yeah. And then, you know, Commander Griffin, Fuala Griffin, who, by the way, I think she's pretty awesome. You know, she's a great villain. She's kind of the only one of the only women we see on the side of the villains uh, so far. <laughs> she she kind of has enough and says, well, I guess we're going to have to use a guillotine. And he was pretty much like, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so she just didn't say anything. She was like, okay, we'll do it. So they, they guillotine him. <laughs> <laughs> we we do another tech regression. Yeah, uh, publicly on TV. Yeah, she gives the obli- obligatory space fascist speech, and then they cut off his head. And of course, everybody on the league military is watching, and it's very traumatic. And that's the end of the count. And <laughs> pretty much, we really don't get a leadership replacement. <laughs> no, <laughs> they switched to kind of rule by committee. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, he was the only one that they that really had like charisma right on, on that side i don't know who else would would really lead them at least on earth yeah to your point though it was very traumatic for uso i mean that was probably one of his inflection points oh, right of like am i or am i not gonna fight and this at this point he really wanted to fight that's when he went in and smashed the guillotines right i think yeah he had nightmares yeah. about it and like if you look at the nightmares the images he sees of zanskar they've gone yes. full third reich like there's 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 no difference at all no difference. Zanskar yeah. is peak evil in the Universal Century. So, yeah, and for Uso, it was just, it was horrible. <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, as this first half goes on, the nightmare stop. You know, his brain finally kind of figured out where to, what cabinet in his in his, his neurons to put that, <laughs> that trauma. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> oh, boy. So after they guillotine the Count, Bespa slash Zanskar's new plan right. is to go to Gibraltar because that's where a mass driver is. And they basically want to take the mass driver, Isaac. Their plan is to ask the Colony Public Corporation, and for those who don't know, that's basically the, the people who are in charge of sort of creating and maintaining the colonies. They're sort of this neutral entity. They don't really <laughs> pick a side. <laughs> They're so neutral that the Laws fleet can just <laughs> kill them whenever they want. Well, n- let me let me clarify. The Shima fleet can just kind of yeah. kill them whenever they want. They don't have want. a lot of defenses. They're just, you know, some dudes who, who fix the colonies. So Zanskar's plan is to ask them to transport their mobile suits to space, knowing that they will decline since they're neutral. And then they will use that as an excuse to attack and seize Gibraltar and thereby seizing the mass driver, thereby gimping uh, League military's ability to sort of use the mass driver to get to space. Around this time, Uso finds Shakti's family photos with someone who looks like Chronicle in them. And interestingly, Isaac Flanders the dog growls at Chronicle first, but then sniffs him, looks at Shakti, and drops his guard. So you know if the dog smells you and says you're good, then you must be you must be family, right? Pass the dog test. <laughs> <laughs> 
<clears throat> so this whole time, you know, they, the Uso and team, they, they've been kind of getting beat up. Marbet, she's been flying her little fighter all over the place, but she's constantly injured. And around this time, Oliver comes through, a new guy and another core fighter to save the day. He's Marbet's fiance. And around this time, I think we're in a, on our way to Gibraltar here, but we're still in Casa Aurelia. <clears throat> this was when it started to get a little repetitive for me, Isaac. Chronicle stole the v- the victory Gundam for oh, a while, God. but Uso stole it back with the help from Modelo and some sheep. But then they couldn't stay. <laughs> <laughs> but then they couldn't stay there anymore because now Zanskar knew where they lived, so they had to leave. But Uso's plan was to let his parents know they had left by having Shakti plant willow herb everywhere. Apparently, this is a real flower. There's 197 species of them. I looked it up. I mean. You got to be really into botany to know your willow herbs if you're out in the woods traveling for a long per- you know period of time and you got to be real optimistic that that willow herb is going to grow everywhere so I don't think that was the best plan. No, and uh, this just shows how often they're in these <laughs> damn woods. <laughs> Uso battles the mobile armor called the Recarl for the first time around here. This is also a mobile armor that he calls the frying pan, Isaac. This mobile armor seemed pathetic to me. <laughs> yeah, I was... Oh, what did I put in here? Oh, where's my notes? Oh, here it is. Sorry, here it is. What is the point of the flying saucepan having that huge cannon <laughs> if it never uses it? <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't really do much, right? It just it shot its little thing every now and then. No, it's a command vehicle. That's really all it is. Like, it has that really powerful looking cannon, which should be able to one shot like a capital ship, but it almost never uses it. She's just out there telling people what to do. Yeah, it's a huge waste of resources that already seem a little limited when you're an empire from essentially one or two colonies trying to take over Earth. So I, I don't get the recarl. Does, does the recarl make sense to anyone out there? If so, let me know. I guess I left out the part, Isaac, where we haven't seen Uso's parents yet. Apparently they're gone somewhere to go help League Militaire. We don't really know much about them. We're going to start to see soon here, Isaac, that Uso begins to fantasize at this mysterious leader of the League Military that we've heard about named Jin Janahan or Jananahan. There's a lot of names in this uh, series, Isaac, that are just flat out unpronounceable, including Pipiminidin from earlier. On the, on the League, you know, that's the Zanscare one. On the on League Military, you got the Janahan guy, Jin Janahanahanahanahan. I'm going to call him Janahana. <laughs> Jack Hanna. Yeah, Jack Hanna. That's, probably, that's pretty good. <laughs> We've always kind of seen parents crop up for our protagonist at some point. What did you think about when they were foreshadowing this? Did you think it was going to be his father? I felt like it was one too many foreshadowing because Mm, we have clearly the drama going on with Shakti and Chronicle Asher and something something that's going to be revealed. So to add on the whole, oh, by the way, Uso... Your father is this really high-ranking soldier that has like connections to the the colony, the public colony corporation, and the reason he left is because he's fighting the good fight in space. You know, I, I just kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, "Come on, there has to be a limit to how much secret family drama we can have in each series." <laughs> oh, there's no limit, Isaac. You know. So that's that's Uso's story. Where he's right now, we're we're doing the will he, won't he fight. Uh, permanently, and then also there's we've got this brewing, where are Uso's parents? Who is his father? Type thing. So after learning about Jin Janahanahana, he actually sends a coded message to the League Militaire, and they, as a result of getting their message, they head to the Earth Federation base at Bakine, and there they find two more Victory Gundams and a Federation transport plane waiting to take their Gundams to Ireland. Isaac. Also, a Federation James gun is there. One lone James gun. To protect the transport. One mobile suit. 
one mobile suit, a, a gym equivalent, Isaac. Do you on remember how many gyms were in the one-year war? Well, now we're down to one. On the bright side, Zanskar has an equally small force running around the the, the match driver. You know, <laughs> there. Yes. Yeah, this isn't you know the glory days of Xeon where they had like a huge base for like their match drivers. They had like the California base. This is night and day. They they there's almost nothing that Zanskar has that can threaten this. They have like I don't know six mobile suits. <laughs> one James Gun from UC One Nineteen is going to protect uh. the base. They got a good shot based on how <laughs> Zanskar's done. <laughs> Doesn't work though because they uh, the base gets attacked by the bikes uh, again. I think it's the base. I could be wrong. At some point, the League military gets attacked by the motorads, the Galaxon bikes. <clears throat> what did you think about the Galaxon bikes, Isaac? These are the the bikes that sort of look like Kaneda's bike, but not really. I, I was kind of puzzled and. Uh... Yeah, just just puzzle, just pure puzzlement. I thought they were just weird. They looked out of place. It looked like they should have been from I don't know Voltron or something. And <laughs> yeah, I was even more surprised by how difficult it was for mobile suits to fight them because, as we all know, back in the One Year War, we've already established that mobile suits will beat tanks nine out of ten times. <laughs> and what are these? These are two wheeled fast tanks. That's it. So the gun easies should have mopped the floor with these because they're just vehicles. You need mobile suits to fight mobile suits. These little things were just, I'm not even puzzled anymore. They're just ridiculous. I can't believe they're here. <laughs> it's its frustrating, you know? I mean, I guess if they were in an 80s anime about motorcycles, they'd fit right in. In this show, right. they feel very out of place. I did love the, I cracked up, Isaac. I think I had to pause the episode when the when the main guy I forget what his name is when the main guy was like I will revive the tradition of biking from the last century and uh, <laughs> you know and use it to defeat my enemies I cracked up like that dude yeah. was so gung ho about his cause I, I love it it was like Commander Igb or something like that Ib-gub. yeah he had a strange Ib-gub. name I- IBQ or IQB something like that oh yeah another unpronounceable yeah. name. And he's like later revealed to be a member of the the political party that rules the Zanskar Empire. So I guess. Oh yeah, and they all wear the wigs, right? Yeah. Well, except for except for Kagedi, because yeah, I, don't, I guess if, if you're in charge, you don't have to do the wig. But no, like, yeah. He's, 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 he's got his own little outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets a chair. That's true. Instead of the wig, he gets a chair. <laughs> <laughs> so they get attacked by the bikes again here. Um, and the Shrike team comes out. So we, we get to meet the Shrike team. I think this is the first time the Shrike team shows up. The Shrike uh-huh. team is composed, at least currently, of Junko, Jenko, Peggy, Connie, Mahalia, Helen, and Katie. Right away, Isaac, I'm going to say Junko is fantastic, and I love her. She's going on my top five pilot list for a reason I'll talk about later. Yeah. I, lo- I love Junko. I like I like the whole Shrike team. I thought they were cool. Yeah. But they show up, Isaac, in these mass-produced victory Gundams called the Gun Easies. Yeah. I, I put, we got female pilots right out the gate, really, here. <laughs> yeah. And boy, do they kick ass, you know? I mean, they give us about as much as they take, you know? Yeah, yeah. They are beasts at piloting, for sure. Uh, Junko <laughs> is clearly the best. <clears throat> Unfortunately for Helen, she dies basically right away, protecting the transport. Uh, so rest in peace, Helen. And uh, you might say, oh, this is great. We're getting female pilots. The only problem is, Isaac, these these female pilots were basically created so that they could die. Yeah, pretty much. And they're 
kind of regularly replaced, I guess. <laughs> They're in gun easies that are, they feel better than like a mass-produced mobile suit, right? They, they yeah. have their own cool look to them. You know, I wouldn't turn down getting one at a decent price. But yeah, they're just kind of a support team that we've never really had before. You know, usually the gun was supported by maybe a handful of very unique and individual specialized mobile suits or other Gundams. Here, it's just a uniform team that they all have the same one. Right. The gun easy reminds me a lot of the Flint, which you which you enjoyed from Crossbow. Ah, yeah, good point. Good point. Hey, I noticed that uh, <laughs> unlike the Zanskar Empire, whoever designed the gun easies, they didn't build the Zanskar Empire's escape pods for their mobile suit. <laughs> oh yes, no. Which are a first in in mobile suit history. Like that's pretty cool. I think you know for the Zanskar Empire, as, as evil as they are, <laughs> they clearly want to protect their pilots. But uh, whoever designed the gun easy, no, the, the the Shrike team is not protected in the same way. Yeah, poor Shrike team. It's not gonna pay off for them because no. of that too i mean they're they're basically all gonna die one after the other in sort of different sacrificial ways so helen dies protecting the transport so they can you know get the get the guys in the air but i i like the gun easies i think they're neat i, I think i wish yeah. the color scheme was flipped i wish purple was dominant and the the khaki or whatever was secondary but um it still looks pretty cool it, it's, it's weird seeing an a light avocado green <laughs> yeah, it's it's it almost looks evil, doesn't it? It doesn't look like a good guy. No, suit. it would be like a a Gallahorn suit, you know, in Iron Blood. Oh, okay, Orphans. yeah, yeah, I could see Something that. Like, it looks kind of knightly, yeah. So yeah, I could see that. But um, speaking of the women, what did you think of Fuala Griffin? Fuala, um, I think I'm eager to see what happens to her in the second half because mm. of where she ended up, <laughs> which we'll get to yeah. in a second. I wrote that she's pretty loose with the rules. Because, like, she drinks during command. She had, like, wine on, like, the, the saucepan, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another irresponsible action, by the way, in your mobile <laughs> armor, which you should be using to defend yeah. your troops. But I like that we visibly see her under the gun. Like, she's she's mm, always yeah. constantly worried about getting guillotined if she messes or, up. Uh, or in the gun, depending on your definition of what oh, a gun there, is. But. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and um, I noticed that she wears jewelry, but... At first, I was like, "Oh, she's kind of she's kind of vain, right? Because she's got like pink mm-hmm. hair and like a a very non military style. Her uniforms pretty different, even than officers above her. It's like it's got red on it. Yeah. But then I thought about it more, and I was like, okay, her little tiara that she has that might be sort of a a callback to the queen's tiara. So maybe she's trying to present herself visually, sort of a reminder of the queen, so she gets." more respect mm. from the men or something like that, you know, because as, as the only woman, I assume, <laughs> rank or no rank, she's probably going to be treated differently, you know. As the only woman in this matriarchal... <laughs> this matriarch. <laughs> yeah, and in this uh, military fighting for a matriarchal society, right? So. Right, yeah, yeah. I liked her. I mean, she had a striking character design. It was always... I mean, you could tell it was her on screen, which is good, uh, yeah. right? Especially in some of this animation was, was a little drab, a little hazy. Right. She was always interesting when she was on screen. She stole her scenes. I I would love to see a Fuala Griffin story. I cracked up when <laughs> Uso started calling her Miss Guillotine. What <laughs> uh, would you think of Pippinidin? Pippinidin, whatever. <laughs> Pip, Mister Pip. Um, I didn't have. I didn't. He didn't. He didn't impress me much. He was. It was all talk. He was very much a uh, professional officer, just clean cut. Square. <laughs> <laughs> he was Garmo with no flair. Yeah. 
Yeah, a gentleman to Katagina. I'll give him that. Yeah. Well, actually, no, they're all kind of idiots around her, like because she's walking around and she's a spy. Is she just like the hottest thing on earth, or what, what's what's the deal with all these people losing their Katagina? I think it's mainly that you know the Prince Chronicle has her there. So, number one, he's a good pilot. Number two, he's the Queen's brother. So whatever he says goes. If if he says she's with the Empire, sure, we'll go with it. And She's serving tea, so how what harm can she be? You know, she's not yeah. you know, snooping around the hangar bay. But then again, some officer should have pointed out, Well, yeah, it's tea, but it's this is tea in the meeting room. So <laughs> But anyways, yeah. <laughs> Continue. So again, so Helen sacrifices herself to get the transport in the air. Transport is now headed to Ireland. Uh, the rest of everyone goes to Gibraltar, if I recall correctly. But on the way they run into Bespa in a town. And Bespa rolls in with the guillotines again, and Uso smashes him. But Uso's friend, Mr. Rob, gets killed. This was the guy, Isaac. It was pretty tragic. Remember, this is Mr. Rob, this guy who has a son that looks exactly like Uso. This dude's clearly a little senile or just traumatized, and he thinks Uso is his yeah. son. And he says, No, Uso, you know, no, uh, I forget the son's name, but he calls Uso his son's name. And he's like, I don't want you to go fight. You're going to die. So this dude stands up to Bespa, and they, they kill him, right? They, do they shoot him? I think they shoot him. Yeah, he, he gets shot. He was, like, throwing stuff. To, no, he jumped out of the little hover hover car and, like, yeah, took right. by yeah. Uso time. And then he, yeah. like, picked up a brick or a rock, and then, you know, the guard just stopped and decided That's to gun right. him down, and Uso escaped. Terrible. What, what was great about that is... <laughs> I'm laughing not because that poor old man died, which was very tragic and showed how evil Zanskir was and, you know, <laughs> a- added on to Uso's trauma. I'm laughing right. because do you remember when, like, the Zanskir troops are setting up the guillotine? They're telling, like, the people, like, you guys are overreacting. We're not going to kill anybody. We're just setting it up for intimidation purposes. <laughs> oh, It's like, you don't understand. This is just a display. <laughs> The people, to their credit, they were really brave, right? They were like, yeah. they weren't having it at all. They just protested unarmed and then just started, right. you know, throwing stuff at the troops. And yeah. Right. Which also makes me question to your earlier point about how much of a force is Zanskare really if people are that willing to like protest, I guess. Yeah. Say what you will about Zeon, but there would have been like a Zaku or two overlooking that square, right? Right. Yeah. You know, Zanskar, though, uh, we'll, we'll just send a couple of guys with, you know, the <clears throat> intimidating death machine, and we'll, there, there won't be an emotional reaction at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. Rob, that, that was probably Uso's second inflection point that really drove home his desire to fight with the League military, the first being the Count. It's very sad. <laughs> what did you think of, uh, instead of a bright slap, Uso getting an Oliver punch? <laughs> Oh, you know what? He gets punched quite a few times, especially towards the back, towards the end here where we start getting into space. I mean, on the one hand, they do keep running off with the League military's like hardware, you know, unauthorized. So they probably, to to Bright's point in the other series, like a slap, they're getting off easy. They they probably could be getting put in the brig for a long time or, or executed. So a punch here or there, I think it's fine. Keep them in line. What do you think? I thought it was a good echoing, a good, you know, George Lucas poetry, like it rhymes yeah, yeah. type type situation to see, you know, of course, the, the, if you're a Gundam pilot, someone's going to hit you, <laughs> you know. In a, How else yeah. are you going to mature? We call that character development in Gundam. <laughs> There's never debriefing for Gundam pilots. You just get <laughs> hit by like your commanding officer. <laughs> there was a scene with the Shrike team dealing with the, the mechanics were pretty much harassing them. Mm. 
Do you remember that? That felt so weird and uncomfortable. Did they mean to make that funny? Like, was because because in twenty twenty three, it's it, it just felt kind of done in poor taste. Mm, I don't remember that one. Was it was it when they remember. were before they had taken off in the transport, or where where was it at? They were in like a hangar bay, and like these mechanics mm-hmm. were just. Yeah, the old mechanics were just first they started off as kind of like overly friendly, and then it clearly became something else. But uh, yeah, this show's gonna go some weird places in the back half. I can imagine. <laughs> but speaking of weird places or weirdness in general, uh, the cloth mask on Chronicle Asher, mm. I don't understand it at all. <laughs> and he takes it off when he's at the base. Like <laughs> he's just really concerned about COVID nineteen. They know you're the brother of the queen. Like, nobody nobody really <laughs> hassles him over it, you know? They kind of defer to him sometimes. And other times, they just treat him like a regular soldier. So, it's weird. It, it's such a pointless Char callback. Yeah, I think all the other Char clones really go full on on their masks. You know, they, they put mm-hmm. a lot of effort into their masks. Chronicle gets his at Walmart. He probably just uses a new one every oh, day. God. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I wonder if it's just because they knew that the show wasn't gonna go well so they just didn't put effort into the mask i I don't have a good explanation as to why his mask is so simple and and so unnecessary really i mean everyone else sort of has a reason for their mask if whether or not you think it's a good reason that's up to you but to your point everyone knows who he is why does he need the mask it looks like like the mask firefighters wear underneath you know like a fireproof kind of mask like I don't know if you're watching like, you know, behind the scenes and, you know, movie stunts or something like that. The special effects. It's like the mask they give like the stunt guy that they're going to light on fire. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like a really extreme N95. Yeah. With a headband, you know. Man. Yeah. Watching the series so far, I just keep feeling so bad for Shakti. She's forced to act like a mother at a young age. She has a mental break. It's just a parade of sadness with Shakti. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, sometimes she's the only one talking any sense where she's just like, no, we shouldn't fight. Like, that seems dumb. Like, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, she always dragging around poor Carlman, you know, taking care of him. Shakti is a wonderful person, and it's, it's going to take a while for Uso to, to realize that, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I got us off track. I'm sorry. Where where were we? The Oh, there's, there's Gibraltar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we've now made it to Gibraltar. So at Gibraltar, as Zanskar said, Chronicle, he tries to convince the Colony Corps president to turn the airport over, but he refuses. The president also tells Uso that his parents went to space and left him two tickets to space if he would like to go to. <laughs> so here we have the first sort of real good conflict in the show, Isaac, I think. Okay. There's some careful maneuvering here, right, on who strikes first. It's one of those awkward points in the show where, like, both factions are meeting under neutral circumstances but they neither one wants to attack first lest they be blamed for the damage so i believe it's mahalia on the strike team she takes the zanskar bait a little bit there was sort of like a faint attack she falls for it so then zanskar says oh she attacked first so then they start firing so everyone's firing but league military is really trying not to hurt the mass driver and then during the fight i think we also get some death (laughs) some strike team death (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe two people die. Do do two strike members die at uh at Gibraltar, Mahalia and Katie? Well, for sure the one dies that's holding up like the Yeah, the, yeah, that's Katie. Katie or God, Katie. she she had like a such a weird great death. The Zanskar guy fighting her gave her the um the Bernie Wiseman special, right? <laughs> Where yeah. the suit's intact, but you just you just destroyed the cockpit. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I guess that's right. So I guess both Mahalia and Kate fall at Gibraltar. Kate probably has, like you said, the most iconic death. Her suit is literally holding up the mass driver, allowing the shuttles to fly, but she's dead inside. That's uh, This was pretty sad. Um, I thought that was a good... The whole Battle of Gibraltar, I thought, was pretty good. Mahalia falls against uh, Lupe, another of the many Zanskar baddies. <clears throat> Mahalia was the one that uh, painted herself with lipstick, like war paint. Do you remember that? Yeah, she puts on her cheeks. That was interesting. During this, Isaac, we got to see another new Zanskar suit called the Memendorza. Memendorza? Oh, wow. This was the purple one. I called this the Dunbine Cubile, if anyone's out there's watched or a battler Dunbine. Which maybe we'll watch someday for this show. Yeah, I vaguely remember that one. It's very, um, <laughs> very Gundam Seed. <laughs> the Guyan, right? The Guyan, yeah. I could see oh, that, yeah. Bit. The crest, but... Yeah, was, was Lupe the Zanscare pilot that, like, killed the two drunks at the bar after they gave her the information? Uh, I assume so. I thought that was Fuala. Was that the same no. bar where she bought the drink for uh, Susie? No, no, no. I think it no, was a different okay. bar. Yeah. Cause, Maybe then. Yeah, that's when Fual was in her civilian disguise. Well, that, that's yeah, weird yeah. too about Fual, right? Was was she actually undercover or was it more just she was trying to relax? It could have been a mix of both. I don't know. I personally thought the breeze, the point of that scene was to put her in something very World War II German looking to like, if you if you weren't already getting the parallel, <laughs> then like, hmm. here it is for you. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. That was a strange scene. Remember, Fuella got catcalled by like two of her pilots, and she's like riding her bike. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they realize who she is. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. It's weird how this show has a lot of funny moments, but also like five minutes later, someone dies a gruesome death. Yeah, or like the the, the people in the situation. Yeah, it's it's just horrible. They'll, they'll, ex- they'll yeah. order a guillotine execution the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad. Uh, also, during the Battle of Gibraltar, Junko dueled Chronicle and survived. So I always like that, Isaac. I like when a non-main character duels a main character and survives. Yeah. It just further uh, proved how good J- uh, Junko was. So Right. So at this point, after Gibraltar, Chronicle and Katagina escaped to space in a shuttle. So now we League Military have to decide what to do. So Uso, is, he's going to go to space via a shuttle with one of the tickets, I think. Uh, League Military is piling it. They are going up there on their way to help Jin, Jana, Hannah, Hannah. The mass driver here, Isaac, was bigger than I remember. It's like a giant, really, really long roller coaster. There was like twists and turns. I felt like the other ones were just kind of like straight up. Yeah, right. You don't want to lose speed on turns. So why would you incorporate them? But yeah, this was weird. Like there's a part where it goes into a tunnel. <laughs> yeah, it was like around a mountain. Yeah, so the headcanon has to be that, hey, this is a new tech. We need, um, or, or maybe a tech regression where you need more time to actually prepare the final charge. But nine out of ten times when we see a mass driver, it's just a slope. That's it. That's all you need with the energy they're able to generate and go into space. And by the way, how did we not think about that for Gundam Land? We should have had a, a mass driver roller coaster. <laughs> If we do, like, does it end with you being blown out of the sky? Because each time we see a civilian <laughs> shuttle in Gundam, like, it's it's usually near a battle and they blow it away. <laughs> sure, why not? You also, every time you go on it, you have to see Kate from the Shrike team die so that you can get to space. Yeah. It's it's that sad. Each time you look out the window, like, you see a battle happening, and then just a mono I point a weapon at you, and, and, <laughs> and, the, and the, the window turns white. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. 
So again, Uso's in space. Their ship gets hit by some space debris damage. Uso goes out and he tries to fix it. And out there he finds a, a stuck Vespa pilot named Lieutenant Godwald, who pilots a transformable suit called the Abigor. Uso kind of talks him down and gets him to sort of accept his help. And Uso helps him and they part for now, Isaac. We'll see him again later. Back in Gibraltar, we find out that all the main characters that didn't come with us to space are about to go to space anyway. Except they're going to go with the guy who flew the transport plane who's going to become our captain later on, Captain Gomez, and the Bagley team. The Bagley team are remnants. They're boarding the ship called the Rainforce. <clears throat> I think it's Rainforce, Isaac, rather than Reinforce. I've been reading it Reinforce for years, but wow. I'm pretty sure they pronounce yeah. it Rainforce. Wow. There's some older spellings of, of Rainforce that spell it R-E-I-N-E-F-O-R-C-E. And I think that's a better spelling. Let you know that it's Rainforce and not Reinforce. <laughs> Brian, no matter how many years or decades go by in Gun- Gundam, we'll, we'll always be stuck in Geon and Zeon situation. <laughs> yeah, we're never going to pronounce anything right. Yeah. Just can't yeah, help the, it. No AI will ever save us from the language barrier between Japanese and English. <laughs> like that, yeah. w- the, the way it is now, it's how it'll always be. That's <laughs> <laughs> if you have an opinion, listeners, on Reinforce or Rainforce, you let me know. And so uh, the Rainforce, Isaac, is a class of ship developed from the Klopp class, originally deployed in the UC-130s. So basically, it's old as hell. And the Gomez, the Bagley team, they're getting on board. Shakti and Susie sneak aboard with Carlman and Flanders. The Shrike team uh, gets on board with their gun easies. And then there's uh, one, I think the main Bagley lady is named Yuka. We're, we're not going to see her a lot yet, but I think we see her more in the back half. So, But she's on board. But during their launch, Isaac, they get attacked again by the biker guys. In, but this time they're in the Galgius. Do you remember the Galgiu, Isaac? This was a red mobile suit. This one oh. I was not a big fan of. These were the aquatic ones. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't care for these. We'll add them to my long list of aquatic mobile suits, amphibious mobile suits I really don't like. These were just kind of, as usual, they took notes from Xeon and they made this kind of ugly dome-shaped, weird, vaguely crustacean-looking mobile suit. <laughs> yeah, it's also got a really big wiener thruster, so the thing is like front and center. Very strangely shaped. Not not a huge fan of the Galgu, but uh, it's there if you like aquatic suits. I guess you got to get one aquatic suit in every show, maybe. Yeah, there's always going to be some, some situation where the characters are over the water. <laughs> <clears throat> Back with Uso, you know, he's in space. They get caught by a Zanskar patrol ship. Zanskar are now using Zolotes in space. These are the newer version of the Zolos, which I guess we didn't talk about. So let's talk about the Zolos and the Zolotes. The Zolos were sort of the, probably the most common one they used, that in the Tomliot on Earth. Do you remember the Zolos, Isaac? They look a little bit like the Denonzon as well. Yeah, they're very insect. Yeah, very, in, the, yeah. The, the bug eyes for sure. Those are, I thought those were an okay grunt suit. I thought those, I was fine with those. Yeah. So Lotes, though, they're, they've got a cool look to them, I think. Yeah, I thought the Zolotes were, were, were pretty good looking, actually. It's the Denon Zon, but they gave it steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it grew up and graduated, you know? Yeah, the Denon Zon, but it got ready to play football. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also on the Zolo, before we move, my phone kept correcting it to be Zoloft, so that was one thing. <laughs> and then... Your phone's revealing your medical history, Brian. <laughs> But, which confuses me because I don't even know what Zoloft is for. I don't take Zoloft, but isn't that a? I don't know. They're all for something. <laughs> is it depression or what is it for? It's either that or allergies, right? Everything, every brand name medicine that we we always get marketed, it's always going to be allergies or yeah. depression. <laughs> it's used to treat depression, panic attacks, OCD, yeah. 
PTSD. Side effects may include <laughs> space fascism, uh, thrush, throat, throat, sudden death, there you go. <laughs> guillotine. Uh, <laughs> and also, whenever they would say Zolo, is it, all it reminds me of is um the, all the One Piece fans out there will get this is the, the oh, mistranslation no. of Zoro to be Zolo and and the Viz's refusal to fix it in their manga. So anyway, uh, that sort of contributes <laughs> to me not liking the mobile suit. But there's a load much better. <laughs> Uh, on the subject of One Piece, we we all know the world government is uh, correct, right? We're, they're in the right. We'll leave it at that. There you go. Oh boy, there's just a whole new can of worms. That's a that's a whole different podcast. The world government did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know about that. Thank you. But the zelotes, yeah, I agree much better. I, I like the, the silhouette of the zelotes. The shoulders are big, and they hide those pretty good weapons in the shoulders. So that's pretty fun. I like yeah. the zelotes a lot. So anyway, Uso and, and Marbet end up actually stealing as a load, which was fun. Marbet repainted it to be a white color, which I thought looked pretty cool. All through the show, Isaac, we've been hearing hints of this thing called Kylas Geely. Kylas Geely this, they're at Kylas Geely, you know, come to Kylas Geely. We're finally starting to find out what it is here. So the Bagley team, which I mentioned before, they are the remnants of a Federation fleet that attacked Kylas Geely. And now we find out that Zanskar's biggest fleet, the Materma fleet, led by General Materma Sugar, is his last name really Sugar, Isaac? It, okay, when the dub I was watching, it was Sugan. Oh, all right. Maybe it's Sugan. Maybe my phone corrected it to Sugar. <laughs> Brian, are you preparing his uh, his anime music video to like that song, Sugar? Sugar. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, you know what? For this review, his name is going to be Sugar. You are my fascist girl. <laughs> <laughs> General Materma, he plans to attack the Federation slash League Military United Fleet at side two. Uh, Zanskar is assembling Kyla's Geely into a beam cannon to strike the Earth. So Isaac, that's our first trope. Now you know you're you're watching Gundam because you got a colony laser. Yeah. Or your colony laser stand-in, I guess. It's not exactly a colony, but close enough. You got a laser, and we're going to point it at someone, and we're going to fire it. To their credit, it is, it's actually a, a bit different. You know, Zanskar decided to be unique. It's a particle accelerator that's been weaponized. <laughs> Yeah, which, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, which sounds cool on paper, but I, I feel like in the real world, like, it, those particles aren't going to destroy anything. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a skirmish where Jin Janahanahana arrives in a Federation ship called the Goundland. If I recall correctly, it's an Alexandria class back from, like, way back in the day. Is that right? And this time, instead of packing James guns, he's packing javelins, which is, you know, basically a James gun, but slightly newer, like four years newer. But during the skirmish, Shakti, Susie, and Carlman in Flanders, they all get sucked out into space, which is something we don't see a lot in Gundam, but I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. So that was uh, pretty scary, actually, when they fell out into space. You know, you don't, you don't want all, yeah. your, all the kids and the dog characters and the babies going out into, sa- into space. At least they had normal suits on, so that was good. Yeah, the, the kids, I forgot which kid it was, but they wisely said, we have to get into the normal suits, even the dog and the baby. Yeah, yeah. It paid off. But it, wow, what a way to end an episode. Just the kids in space waiting for death. <laughs> yeah, I know. So scary. They end up getting picked up by Zanscare at the Kyle's Geely fleet. We have another commander, which we haven't talked about. That's another thing, Isaac. There's, there's too many characters in this show. I don't care on which side. There's just too many. I wish they were more differentiated, kind of like Fuala was, right? Where she, she yeah. clearly, in a lineup, you know she'd be memorable. Everybody yeah. else, oh, what's this, what's this next episode's name? Zelo? Philo? Something like that, right? Oh, Tassilo. Okay, whatever. He, yeah, again, f- forgettable McVillain. 
<laughs> well, I think he's going to come back. But see, that's the thing. I think I think if they had just stuck with one or two, it would, they would have been more memorable. Like if you just, yeah. we don't need Pip, 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 and in. We don't need Watery. We don't need Lee. We don't need all those other people. Just pick one, yeah. whether it's Tassilo, Pippinadin, Godwald, yeah, and follow, yeah, and Godwald. I liked Godwald; he he was pretty cool later on. Right. I don't need seven. We didn't get a Mukuve. It was just they gave us quantity over quality. <laughs> yeah. Tassilo Chronicle. They're sitting in the Kyla's Geely fleet, presumably aboard Squid One, their ship. <clears throat> they determine that Shakti is in fact the daughter of Queen Maria. So now we've we've hit both the colony laser trope and the space princess trope within like I think two three episodes. We're like right back on track, Isaac. We took forever on Earth to get to space, but now we're that we're in space, we're going full Gundam. Yeah, things are moving quick. Well, now that we're in space. We're we're going orbital. So Jin Janahanahana, we get our first look at him, and he turns out to be uh, not what Uso was hoping for. He turns out to be a loud, rotund coward, and his plan is to attack, to woo the colonies into allying with him. He wants to use these, uh, this solar battery that we enc- uh, encountered earlier as a microwave cannon against Zanscare. But Uso suggests it would be easier to change the frequency to just give them all headaches slash make them nauseous. So two things here, Isaac. One... We get a better idea of why the conflict seems a little smaller. Because whereas Zeon had all of side 3 behind them, it appears that Zanskar doesn't have all of side 2 because there's this other force called the Side 2 Alliance that is fighting against them. Is Zanskar only like one colony, two colonies? It's definitely like only a few. Right, yeah. I, I wrote a question. I wrote, are we to assume the Zanskar Empire has only taken control of a small area of Earth and several colonies? Uh, yes, I think so. And then a question, are all colonies under Zanskar controlled by now? But they can't be because, yeah, there's a scene where they tell us that they want to battle at side two. And now the League has to go fight the main Empire's fleet. So that kind of implied there was really only two Zanskar fleets or two in the area. It's vague. Yeah, I think there's really only two. That That's how I took it. So, yeah. So then two. So have have solar batteries always been a thing? And then if they have... Could we always have turned them into, like, space lasers? I don't think they've always been a thing because we've never seen them, right? We would have seen them by now. Instead, the colonies just have their panels. We never really see how the asteroids get energy. I guess they have internal reactors of some kind. But, yeah, this seemed like a very, maybe not experimental, but such a, a small kind of operation that they use. Yeah, I I didn't like the microwave thing, Brian. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I just would have liked some more background about it. Like, is this common? Is this the only one? Or like, is this new? I feel like that would have, that would have been helpful. It doesn't make much sense because I feel like they're kind of hold on maneuvering it. And by that, Mm. I mean, space has, who knows how much radiation flying around it, microwaves, the ships themselves, the mobile suits, chalk it up to their design, their technology, the Monofsky whatever physics they already have shielding from all that that's how people are able to fly and fight so just saying that oh we could just point this you know microwave emitter at, at the whole fleet that's such a kind of pulled out of your back pocket the deus ex machina uh, explanation <laughs> for what ha- for how to yeah how things went well it really worked isaac because uso yeah. literally made these guys like themselves. um <laughs> like they, they could not fight uh, because they were they were in the bathroom or, or trying to get to the bathroom. It's coming out of both ends here. So I also just wondered, like, why they hadn't done this before. It's, like you said, it's, it's a hold on maneuver in the fact that, like, oh, if this worked, why didn't we always do it kind of thing? It, unless it's like a, 
not a gentlemanly thing to do? Do you just not do no. this anymore? <laughs> no, it's. I'm guessing at the time this came out, maybe early microwave weapons were being discussed, and the the Ryan team read about them. Because supposedly, you know, if you mm. for microwave weapons, like th- this is what they would do. They would cause you know skin irritation and headaches and bowel problems at least on on the settings for like crowd control from what i've read and and news stories and stuff like that so i assume this is them kind of going with it and i wouldn't be surprised if this was also the time where the cern particle accelerator was being developed in europe and that's kind of why maybe they picked up on it or the, the technology was in the early stages and someone on the writing team read about it and was like oh yeah particle cannon sure you know well that makes sense yeah i buy that I liked how the battle was going here, though. The So the Rainforce is positioned behind the Goundland, and they've actually rigged the Goundland to explode, and they're remotely controlling the Goundland from the Rainforce behind. They're basically using the Goundland as a shield with its giant yeah. beam shield, rushing into Kylas Geely just with reckless abandon. This, this was very... Now I know where Iron-Blooded Orphans got a lot of their ship battle from <laughs> yeah and when that capital ship blows up I, man it took out a lot of the zanskar fleet well yeah it did it was i mean it was really cor- close quarters i guess right or it was just packed with explosives or something but yeah they they really punched above their weight and even those huge missile racks that they were carrying like they just annihilated capital ships Oh, they did. Yeah, those missile racks were awesome. I yeah, love those things. Like, it was it was pretty ingenious, though, because like, in a normal engagement with AUG or Earth Federation, whoever, we all know those missiles have been fired from capital ships. But, well, when you don't yeah. have capital ships, you make do, right? So we'll just put them on yeah. racks, and then the mobile suits will carry them, and we'll have, the sh- we'll have the firepower of some capital ships, if not the capital ships. Yeah, I agree. Uh, those missile racks were cool. You know, I liked uh, seeing the javelins out there. I thought that was fun just to give it more diversity. Chronicle actually takes out a new suit during this battle called the Contio. What did you think about the Contio, Isaac? This was the, the like purple-pink one with like very round shoulders and the big round chest piece. This is the one that has the... Um, the wire bits, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, ironically, are kind of like pointed backwards. I yes. Think- I feel like if they're pointed forwards, they do way more damage. <laughs> but um, I like the Contio. It, it vaguely insect-like, but still pretty intimidating. It, it was a cool design. They definitely gave a lot of trouble, and they, they killed a few people. <laughs> they did. I, I like the Contio as well. It definitely looks like a space mobile suit, so that was cool. It looks very Zanscare. You know, I can I can look at that and say that's a Zanscare suit, so that's always good. You want like recognizability, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. To Junko's credit, she she duels Chronico again. She almost dies, Mar- but Marbit steps in. Here's where Katagina kind of gaslights her own team, you know? She gets, she goes out in the space jet ski, and she's like, Hey, Connie, tell Uso that Shakti's okay, but I'm going to go back to the enemy now. And it's like, what are you, what, <laughs> what are you doing out here? Uh, with respect to Marbit, Isaac, we haven't talked about Marbit. Her, like, hatred of Junko made me not like her. I mean, I like her, but at the same time, yeah, that was... <laughs> It felt oddly placed, didn't it, in the story? It was odd. I mean, I get maybe... She does sort of, like, try to help her at the end. I don't know. I didn't like it that she was so skeptical of the Shrike team's intentions, I guess, or or Oliver's intentions with the Shrike team. Yeah. Well, emotions were running high. It happens. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. The Zanscare used nukes here, Isaac. That was... Yeah, that was bad. Very Zanscare. (laughs) We can't use guillotines in space, so we might as well use nukes. The guillotine of space, the nuclear weapon. I want to see a beam guillotine, yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, they, that, like, yeah, why don't they have one of those? That would be more cost effective, I they feel put like. put the Gundam's head in the beam guillotine, <laughs> and then they cut it off while the world watches. <laughs> so after the battle, the League Militaire has, against all odds, captured the Squid One, capital ship, and Kyla's Geely, you know, the space station itself. Yeah. Embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing defeat for Tassilo. He escapes. Uh, he's going to get his punishment in a minute here. But Uso is reconning the debris, and he encounters Godwald again in the Abigor. And turns out, Isaac, that Godwald is a legit ace pilot with a with a nickname, like all good ace pilots. He is Godwald, the man-eating tiger. And they duel in one of, probably one of the best fights of the show. Yeah. Uh, Uso emerges victorious, although it does result in Godwald dying, which was sort of against the conversation that they had had previously. Godwald kind of wanted to go visit Casarelia and maybe settle down there. But I like Godwald. I thought he was cool. Oh, it was he was like the anti Obi Wan, right? Like they're on opposite sides, but he's still being a mentor to Uso. And he had right. such a cool death too. After all the fighting, when he couldn't keep fighting, he pulls a um a, a dozel and gets out of the <laughs> gets out of his mm, cockpit yeah. to kind of you know, he tried to open no, he did open Uso's cockpit, but Uso was quick enough to use that the pilot grappler, the pilot grappling hook. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. never had a name for it actually, you know, they think about it. <laughs> Anyways, I guess because of space and zero G that has enough concussion to to push away Godwald and he congratulates Uso and he dies in an explosion of his, uh, his back to his mobile suit that he got launched at. Yeah, he was on Zanskier's Ramba Rao, I guess. The closest thing we had. Yeah, man, he was pretty cool. That that was the best fight so far in the first half. I liked Sutu, the Ab- Abigor. Um, it was mm-hmm. spectacularly evil looking. It was definitely weird looking. I don't know if it was the best design, but it was uh, suitable for, for what he was doing. And the mobile armor mode kind of reminded me a little bit of the uh, Valvaro, Isaac. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Did we ever find out what he and that other pilot were doing in that floating building? I don't think so. I mean, I guess you're just to assume that they were stuck for some reason. Maybe they ran out of fuel. I don't know. But there was only one suit, and the other pilot was, like, bleeding from his face. I think it was dead, right? If I remember right, he was going to die, and I think what Uso did helped save him, right? He didn't want to, like, drink the water or something, but Uso ended up sending him some food or whatever, some supplies. Yeah, okay. I think maybe you're supposed to assume that they they were in the battle against the Bagley team, and maybe they just got thrown off course or something. That's probably what it was. Okay. That's my new headcan. Yeah, maybe. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. So getting down to the end here, Isaac. So at this point, one of our heroes' friends that they picked up, um, Martina, she gets sick with appendicitis. So they have to take her to a doctor, which is unfortunately the closest doctor is on Zanskir's home colony inside two of Amelia. So they take her there to get uh, to see the doctor. Uso gets attacked by the Sandhoge or the Sandhoge? Sandhog, maybe? It's like a mecha spider colony worker robot. It's ridiculous. That was pretty silly. But inside, Uso and co, they find Susie Flanders and Carlman. Remember, they had been captured by Sanskir. Maria meets Shakti finally, says she sent her to Earth for safety, but can protect her now since she's queen. She admits that, yes, I am your mother. Chronicle and Katagina do something weird here, Isaac. They record the meeting of Maria and Shakti to show the public. Chronicle then tells us about the matriarchy. Did you find that odd that they recorded it? I mean, I was kind of questioning, like, does that mean that she's really not her daughter or like what is this but they seem pretty sincere about it i, I still kind of strange yeah i didn't find it odd i thought oh, okay this is going to be aired at some point and it'll cause the zanskir downfall or something like that but 
Mm, I, I, I don't know. At, at this point, I was like, this is such a weird thing to kind of shoehorn in that there was a daughter. And yeah, it, yeah, it's it's just weird. Yeah, there's still no sign of the of the father or no mention of, of who that is. So maybe we'll find that out in the back half. But yeah. So now that League Military has the Squid One, they repair the Rainforest with parts from the Squid One, which creates the Rainforest Junior, which is pretty cool, Isaac. I, I like that. Um, using the parts from what you get. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I really liked how it looked. It was very, um, I mean, it's not a white base or a Pegasus class, but it's it's got its own cool look to it. Yeah, it's unique. And, you know, compared to when, remember F91, there was a space arc and we were all kind of like, it was just very not unique. Yeah. Um, but here, I think the Rainforest Junior looks pretty cool. And Gomez is going to be our captain. So they are actually like wasting no time, Isaac. Like we just got done with that Kyla's Geely fight. They are going to take the Rainforest Junior and attack Zanscare directly at Amelia to lure the Materma fleet away from the, uh, fighting the Side 2 alliance. So as part of this, uh, before Rainforest Jr. gets there, Uso lands on the castle grounds while he's in Amelia. Remember, he brought Martina there. And his goal is to get Shakti. Shakti comes out. She's like, hey, Uso. Did you find that weird? She, he like landed on the lawn, and she just like ran out. She's like, oh, it must be Uso. She like knew it was him. Oh, God, yeah. I wrote that, like, is this castle the queen's castle it's like so lightly defended you know it's yeah it's, it's like they took their security courses from crossbone you know the crossbone vanguard because <laughs> yeah there was like nobody there protecting it i assumed it was just shakti's castle i think it's maria's castle but, oh, wow. but maybe you're right i don't know they only had like one vehicle guarding it yeah it was it was not guarded very well and uh shakti's like yeah you know it turns out i'm the princess and I kind of have to stay here and all this. And Yusu's like, okay, well, that's okay. Maria probably needs your help. So Susie, please take care of her. I thought that was very odd, like, that he wouldn't just take her and, and fly away. I feel like that would have been better for the story, right? Because now the princess has joined the League military, and it would be kind of a political victory for them, right? Because she could make her own little speech or something. I don't know. It could have gone different ways. But she just stays there, and Uso's journey there was kind of pointless. <laughs> Yeah, it just seems odd to go all that way and then not take back who you're there for. So, But the Rainforest Jr. does get there. The Shrike team just absolutely decimates the Zanskir forces during this attack, especially Junko. She's like in overdrive, just killing people with her beam pistols. So Isaac, I love Junko. I'm going to say something very controversial here. She, out of anyone we've seen up to this point, her fighting style reminds me the most of Amuro Ray in the sense that she goes through her opponents as if they are simply in her way and they're just preventing her from getting to her goal. No matter who it is, no matter what it takes, she just goes up, down, all around. And she doesn't really have any like special weapons. She's got a gun and that's about it. And a saber. She doesn't have any fancy like bits, this, that, and the other. No transformable nonsense. She's got the basics here and she's kicking everyone's ass. She's that good. She's an ace. When you're an ace, you don't need a Gundam to punch above your weight or kill dozens of the enemy. And, on, and along the way, she's mentoring Uso by being like, maybe not in the most, you know, motherly way or or nice way, but she's like, you know, get, basically get your head out of your ass. You got to stop, you know, doing things like this, that, and the other. Don't take your eye off the ball. You remember when she told him to not use the big beam rifle when he didn't need to because it was going to give away his position? So it was those like pro things where I was like, this woman is like the real deal. So Junko definitely deserves a spot on my uh, top five female pilot list. I regret that I did not include her before. I wish I could buy Junko merchandise, but there will never be any merchandise for this show. (laughs) 
Chronicle goes out with a, with a whole team of Contios now, which is like bad news for our people, Isaac, because the Contio is pretty advanced. Uh-huh. They have those wire-guided shoulder bits, uh, which Peggy calls crow's beaks. That's a cool name. Yeah, it is a pretty cool name. I like that. Also around this time, Jin Janahanahana wonders what the real Jin Janahanahana is doing now. So now we know that Uso's dream is a little bit alive, Isaac. This dude's not the real Jin Janahanahana. <laughs> Too bad he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's going to tell Uso, but no. Peggy is embroiled in a conflict with Chronicle. Uso saves her, but she takes heavy damage. If, if I remember right, she gets burned pretty badly, right? So they then have to take her to a doctor. Yeah. And guess what? The closest doctor is still in the goddamn Zanscare colony, so they go back oh, God. into the... To the jaws of the lion. Exactly. But Uso gets caught and ends up watching a celebratory address from Maria... He can't help himself, Isaac. He launches himself at Maria, saying, I'm Shakti's friend. So Maria, everyone's freaking out because this, this kid is, like, you know, throwing himself at the queen. They're getting ready to kill him. Maria's like, don't do it. He's Shakti's friend. But then Peggy, like, takes it upon herself to, like, make her move, revealing herself uh, that she's piloting, you know, her gun easy. It's damaged, but she's, she's piloting it. But this throws everyone off because now everyone realizes there's an enemy mobile suit in the celebratory, like, mobile suit bay, basically. This is just like a very complicated situation, right, Isaac? We don't see this very often. <laughs> no. The queen, everybody important is here in one room. Like, yes. Honestly, they, they should have just started shooting. <laughs> right. And hardly anyone's in a mobile suit. Everyone is like Defenseless. super close to death. Right. Uso gets, ends up getting back into Victory Gundam. And in a turn of events, he picks up Maria. And so now he has a hostage. They, you know, Zanskir has Shakti. And now he has Maria. So they've like switched positions here, which is pretty cool. Uso then just uses Maria to make his way out. They walk out, they're walking out, but then Chronicle attacks anyway, which was like pretty brazen, Isaac, because that's his own sister. He, he definitely could have killed Maria by accident. Maybe. At the same time, like, I feel like everybody else was too paralyzed and wouldn't do it. So by being brave enough, maybe he said, you know what, I can pull this off. And no, everyone's too scared to actually hurt my sister. I'm the only one that can actually intervene to save her. I mean, it worked out, right? Yeah. He did. He does end up killing Peggy, who tells Uso to live his life for them. I do feel like the Shrike team is like dangerously living vicariously through Uso's future. So mm. doesn't bode well for their future. No. But Uso and Marbet end up getting captured. Uh, there's no more Peggy, obviously, because she's dead. Uh, Uso escapes, but he gets recaptured very easily, which was like pretty comedic, right? They like watch him running down the hall, and they're like, "All right, would someone just go get him?" Uso, Marbet, and Tassilo Isaac are taken to the guillotines the next day. But they get bailed out by Odello. Zanscare has set up the victory and the gun easy, sort of like as symbols on the execution grounds. And uh, Odello and them were hiding in there. So Uso gets in the victory, but is then cornered out of nowhere, Isaac, by Katagina in a new Shoku, the Rig Shoku. And she's threatening to fire. And that's where we leave off. That's our first half. Wow. Isaac, I don't even know what just happened. Like, that was like so much stuff. There was, there was so many characters, there were so many new things. Do you think that this show maybe has the... Is it the most brutal UC show, and maybe even more brutal than Iron-Blooded Orphans? Does it have the strongest anti-war message of any of the shows? Um, I wouldn't say it really exceeds the other shows, but it certainly matches them. It's up there. It doesn't take the crown, but it's, it's definitely a pretty hard-boiled, brutal show. You know, almost too brutal. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to watch. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of brutal stuff in there. There's like when League Military finds the corpse of the guy they wanted to meet in yeah. New Week instead, and he's holding the map, so they just take the map from his corpse. 
Or when the Zolo copters light up the civilians with the, the machine guns. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about like Iron Blooded Orphans, but it was definitely pockmarked with, you know, comedy moments and uh, th- yeah. th- there were peaks and valleys in that story. This is just kind of br- slow beginning with brutality to much more mm-hmm. faster paced brutality. So it's it's unique and it's very strange because of the choices they made, the, the unanswered questions we have. Overall, it was an interesting watch. You mentioned Fuala earlier. We forgot to talk about the fact that they shot her out into space in a tube <laughs> with three days worth of food. That was her punishment. Yeah, and not only that, but like she was meeting and, um, oh God, what's his name? Tassilo? Yeah, she was meeting him <laughs> for the court martial, having this beautiful, delicious looking three course meal. And it, it turned out he was like, oh yeah, this is your <laughs> final meal. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, and and, and that was the same time when he's like, and by the way, Chronicle's going to push the button and I'm going to promote him. I am the court martial. (laughs) One thing, Isaac, that bothered me the whole show, and I had to look this up, Fonce Kagedi. We didn't see a whole lot of him yet. I think we're going to see a lot more in the back half. Two scenes? Yeah. He's from Jupiter, Isaac. Yeah. He's got a cybernetic eye. Of course. His last name is Kagedi. Very similar someone else we know who's from Jupiter. Mm. He's got a cybernetic eye whose last name is Dogady. Is there a connection there? So I've seen this discussed on uh, primarily, I mean, you got to dig deep for this, people. It's, this is a very specific question. But as always, the people on uh, Mecha Talk are all over this. Uh, there's an old thread on it that says, basically it is, as far as anyone knows, just a coincidence. But the author of Crossbone clearly sees the uh, connection here because... Apparently, they do meet in Crossbone Gundam Ghosts. So that is the next Crossbone on our list, Isaac. We'll get to it someday. But I don't think there's a relation there, even so, that they meet. But it's just interesting. Yeah. Did you catch that? Did you think about that at all? I recognize the name thing, but to me, I just thought, well, there's just kind of overlap in, you know, the story writers maybe. But I assume they're not related. I definitely assume that he's not a mandroid for Dogady. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's a mandroid, no. I just figure this is a case of, um, you know, some similar names because of the, the point of origin. Isaac, there was, this is a very light thing, but there's one thing in this show that i really excited. This is the first time that I can think of that a show has given a name to the sticky stuff, and they call it bird lime. Oh, right. Wow. I don't think I like that name. <laughs> Space Gum wasn't a good name either, though, but um, <laughs> Crack Paste? <laughs> crack Paste sounds like something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sealant. There, that's, that's general enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so from now on, I'm going to be calling it Bird Lime. You know what? The Bird Lime, despite how much time's gone on, it's still bubblegum pink, you know? <laughs> Oh, you know what? That stuff is so useful. It never goes out of style. Yeah. The, I thought the kids did a great job when they MacGyvered their escape out of that little patrol vehicle thing. Yeah. They, like, bird-limed that guy to the to the wall, and they bird-limed the cockpit of his mobile suit <laughs> shut. What I like about it is, like, well, my headcanon is that it, the reason it's bright pink is because nothing else on the ship is that color. So, by default, mm, yeah. if you see that color, it's essentially the equivalent to, like, for us, shades of orange. Yeah. You know immediately that area is cracked. That's why yeah. it's such a jarring color inside of your ship. All right, Isaac, my last question for you. Oh, boy. Given Tomino's unequivocal rejection of the series, mm-hmm. should Bandai slash Sunrise erase it from continuity? 
<sighs> Maybe it's not fair until we get to the end, but given that we talked about the rejection, I'm going to ask the question now. And we can revisit the question yeah. in part two. But it's not often that the creator of a big franchise like this completely disowns something in that strong of a language. Yeah, that's true. So I'm going to give you two answers. My first answer is a cop-out, and that'll be, I defer to Tomino. Time's gone by. Maybe he looks back on it and says, eh, it, it actually wasn't that bad. Or eh, we, we can squeeze side stories out of this or something, you know, to, to kind of g- clean it up. My other answer would be, no, we, as bad as some things are, we, we can't delete. That, that We just don't do that in Gundam. We can do, you know, prequel series that are superior. We can do side stories, sequels, or just totally new series and just kind of forget about that this ever happened. But no, we, we do not delete. We, we have to still have double Zeta. God knows why. <laughs> but no, we, we don't delete. We keep the canon and we have lemons. So let's make lemonade. Let's squeeze out some <laughs> great side stories. Zanscare Gundam, you know, who knows? Defeat Gundam. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it's it's possible for us to, to do something with it. How about you? Are you in delete camp or keep camp? That's a tough one, man. Yeah. I don't know. I think... Uh, what do you think? You know what kind of sort of tips the scales in a way? There are no mm-hmm. Zanscare fans. There's no yeah. one sharing Zanscare mobile suits <laughs> on social media. There's no one sharing League Militaire or Victory Gundam. Uh, gunpla on social media now and then there's some victory it's so but it's really just the victory too it's not you know you're right there's no it's so minimal this this is a series the like is in the back of your drawer you forgot it's there it's underneath like your wallet and the other series and you know a notepad or something there's no need to delete it (laughs) because it's it's covered in (laughs) dust (laughs) i mean maybe if you could delete some parts of it and then keep the rest. If we could, you know, delete the motorcycles and compress the story a bit uh, in the beginning. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I would be open to replacing it if Tomino would replace it with something else. I mean, he kind of has with Reconquista and Turn A and stuff like that. But it depends if they want to, like, forge something forward through those years and this is in the way. I say what they do what they have been doing with UC, where they they do stuff so further along, it feels like a different universe, or they just do stuff that was filling in the gaps. You could do, I don't know, a side story that takes place at the same time or something, and it, it'll outshine the series because it'll be done better. I think Crossbone uh, Dust or Ghost, maybe, maybe it's Ghost, uh, takes place at the same time as this. So. so, you know, now this has been weaved into the Crossbone stuff as well so it's, it's even harder to get rid of god that crossbone gundam has outlived the crossbone vanguard it's outlived the jupiter empire and now it's going to outlive the zanscare empire come on <laughs> you just can't get enough of that crossbone there's just at a certain point there's just we ju- you just stop making a certain gundam gundam model series <laughs> did you notice that the zanscare fleet has green energy beams like lime green they were so bright like that's something i don't think we've seen before Hmm. Maybe not on a large scale. I mean, we've mm. seen green beams now and then. I think, for example, didn't the noise eel fire green beams? Yeah, maybe, but not on a capital ship. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they're pink. I don't remember. Yeah, usually they're pink, right? I'm also surprised that, like, Chronicle used a signal flare to inform the Federation that they should surrender. Mm. That was weird. I, I felt like that showed that, like, communication in space had kind of advanced a little where a signal flare can tell someone to surrender. I remember him doing that and thinking to myself, that was remarkably effective. 
Yeah. Like he got them to surrender very quickly. People should do that more often. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> Did you recall them saying that League Military translate into Holy Military Alliance? I did read that somewhere. That's the Japanese translation or something like that, right? I thought it was just French for Military League. I think the wiki says that it was purposely given like a French name to you know evoke the French Revolution or something like that. Okay. But I wasn't clear if League Military exactly translates into Holy Military Alliance or if whatever Japan calls League Military is Holy Military Alliance oh. over there. I felt it was kind of a misnaming, maybe a translation issue, having Maria be queen, and why not just name her empress if there is Zanskar Empire? That's something I'd change that. It's a good point. Well, it's not even really her empire, so yeah, Mr. Kagedi is behind the scenes. That, that could be why. But yeah, I, I wonder if it's because is queen more holy sounding than empress? Because, you know, she yeah. gives off the uh, like saintly vibe, right? With her flowing cloak and her psychic powers and all this stuff. Maybe you're right. That's a good point. What did you think of the recap episode or obligatory Gundam recap episode being um the update report to the queen? You know, I didn't mind this one as much as some in the other series, but it still was not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, th- That motorcycle commander giving the presentation to the queen, what did you think of his, you know, the, the images we saw of the wheeled battleships that are coming up that he said are going to intimidate the enemy into surrendering? <laughs> you know, I was laughing. I was like, I refuse to believe that they're going to lean harder in into like wheeled battleships uh-huh. so that was one thing i was laughing but i was also dreading it god and then secondly i was also dreading it because i was like does that mean we're going to go back to earth and then back to space because that's going to feel like a lot <laughs> yeah that's true uh during the presentation i liked how when they were discussing the gundam the presentation to the queen i liked how kagedi spun it as like oh the league they're so sadistic and cruel they use child soldiers to pilot their mobile suits <laughs> Oh, yeah. Total manipulation there. That means the queen's in a bubble because Zanscare was using children, too. You know, they have, like, children marching, and then the the taxi driver that dropped off Uso was like, oh, yeah, you should join the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I definitely got the sense that she was in a bubble, but I also don't understand how you can be that old and not... Because she's not, like... You know, Uso's 13. Maria's older than that, right? She's... Yeah gotta be at least 20 right how can you be that old and not realize that you're being taken advantage of or at least continue to go along with it the way she does and there's just naive people brian what was a little ridiculous was how her throne room like as soon as she concludes a meeting it directly connects to like this mass troop rally (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was a little odd they were all just like waiting for her too right right yeah like it's not even that she needed like go down a hall you know or or get into a car like they were literally like you know 30 feet away (laughs) right and like we didn't even talk about her psychic powers what do you think about those at first i was like this has to be a trick this can't be real but then it kind of seems like it's real yeah it felt like a bad direction for new types to go yeah because now we're just getting kind of weird superpowers so soon they're going to be I don't know, shooting lasers out of their eyes or something, you know, it's the, the, the new type, the whole point of new touch was it was such a subtle difference. Yeah. This is something that's much more. Yeah. Just pure magic. Yeah. The closest thing I could think of was the Callisto brothers, you know, yeah. in their communication thing. But even that, I, I think this is more offensive than that in terms of jumping the shark is maybe the, the wrong phrase, but you know what I mean? It's a little to your point. It's a little too far for what makes new types good. Yeah. Back at the Zanskar homeland, I noticed we only heard one woman 
that was a soldier, an officer. I think she was one that pointed out Uso or something. Or no, she says something like, oh, there's a kid here. I guess he knows the queen. Oh, here comes the queen or something like that. Everyone else at that rally was a man. So yeah, Mm. Maria is just in such a, she's so blind. She's not even in a bubble. She's (laughs) blind that the matriarchy doesn't exist. You know, it's just, it's it's just this lie that that, uh, Kagedi's telling her. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly cooking something up. I think we we both know what it is, but um, it, it again, it remains hard for me yeah. to see how she can trust this man. So. A, a few cool details I noticed, like the uh, the Zanskar pilots saving the kids in space. Once again, the mm-hmm. once again the fascists are um, <laughs> overly nice <laughs> to children. <laughs> yes, or everybody likes children, even <laughs> fascists. Combat balloons still in use decades later. Interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. The Shrike team sleeping with belts on on a ship, which is something we almost never see. Like, no, no matter where you are in a Gundam series, if you're in space, you know, people sleep in bed still normally. So I thought it was mm. a good way to address that there's gravity. Uh, or, or, I mean, there's, there's no gravity in space. So, of course, mm, you'd want yeah. to sleep with a belt on. Also, the uh, during battle, I noticed that the League Militaire... The point defense cannons really punched above their weight. During combat scenes in space, space battles, fleet battles, you almost never see the point defense cannons like taking out mobile suits, right? They're almost always, mm. almost for show. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like flak fire usually, right? Yeah, but this time they're actually taking out suits, so I thought that was cool to see. They better take out suits because they got like one ship. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no one else. True, true. They put everything they could into the... The targeting system. What did you think of seeing the Levian Rose again? Ah, uh, the Levian Rose Four. So that was actually very interesting. We could do an entire episode about what happened, what may have happened to Anheim Electronics in relation to SNRI, in relation to Bespa, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's an answer, um, but it's a very interesting question, and it's just interesting that like they specifically use a Levian Rose to show that Anaheim is still there. And Anaheim is essentially bankrolling the League Militaire's mobile suit development, which is so odd. It's almost like a comeback, like they're upset. Yeah. And then you can get into this whole, like, what happened with SNRI. Right, yeah. Who is Anaheim Electronic at this point? Is it really just frustrated SNRI people, et cetera, et cetera? It's like at their weakest, now they decide to just openly fund a private army. You know? Right, yeah. It's almost too little too late. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, they're they're going to eventually make the Victory Two Gundam, which is one of the strongest Gundams in existence mm. due to the Wings of Light. But then that we had all that crossbone stuff about the Wings of Light written around this show, right? With the F ninety nine record breakers and the Icarus thing. It's all just very interesting. But the, there's I don't there's not one good answer out there. Uh, there is the manga ongoing right now called F ninety Fastest Formula, uh, which we will read at some point. But it's not done. But they are showing in there the sort of the beginnings of SNRI versus Anaheim. That doesn't really answer what happened, but maybe they'll give us some clues uh, later on in the manga. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. When you saw the Zanscare home colony, did it strike you as looking longer than normal? To me, it was greener and longer. It did look a little bigger. We haven't seen many colonies in this show at all, really, so I, I wasn't sure if I should just tack that up to animation style or if it was a legitimate difference. When Uso was fighting the Sand Hodge, that is the only time, to my knowledge, where Haro's directly gotten involved in combat. You know, Haro deciding to launch the backpack to save them. So I thought that was really interesting. It was also very sad to see Haro, like, 
not in good shape. Yeah, like the one time it gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. That, so thanks for reminding me. So I went I went down like a deep rabbit hole about like, is that the original horror? Oh, thank God. That was my next point. There's not an answer. And everywhere that addresses this always just devolves into like joke answers. So I think if I ever get to ask Tomino-san a question, I'm going to ask him what happened to the original Haro. Mm -hmm. I think this show describes that Haro as a fourth generation Haro or some Xth generation. So it's sort of implied not to be the first Haro, but then there's, you know, maybe some some arguments you could use either way. But the, And that's sort of true of all the different Haros we see outside of 0079. So the one in Zeta that Camille has, it knows Bright, it knows Amuro, but apparently Amuro said that all the Haros that were mass-produced, they all know Amuro, they all know Bright. To my knowledge, it's never been answered. So if someone out there knows a definitive source for what happened to the original Haro, and just whether or not each Haro is, is just the original one upgraded, which I don't think it is, but yeah, that would be, I'd be interested to, uh, to see your source on that. So Interesting. Um, just a couple more points. I think handing Peggy over to the Zanskaya Red Cross was either stupid, insane, or both. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that was just such a ridiculous yeah. turn of events. And also, um, you know, getting into that situation. God, I, I've never seen a situation like that with Peggy where her legs were burned, but the cockpit was attacked. Mm-hmm below her knees like the heat like just burned away the fabric of her um, flight suit yeah the only thing i can think of is whatever fire it was must have come up through the floor rather than through the cockpit you know instead of okay from outside that way but up from underneath maybe i I don't know yeah i mean it seemed like she had a pretty bad injury did you take it that she felt she wasn't going to make it regardless and that's why she did what she did or she just frustrated her situation. Or? I feel like in the situation, she was like, well, I'm the only pilot that can kind of do something, so I'm just going to go out anyways. Mm, yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's it for Victory Gundam, Brian. It's at least oh, the first half. One. Yeah, 0.5 Victory Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, now that we've discussed it, I've got to ask you, and since instead of Haros, today we're going to be using guillotines, how many guillotines on the Brian scale do you give Victory Gundam the first half? Oh, man. Well, okay. I think the show was too slow to get to space, or at least through the journey to Gibraltar arc. I think the space parts were great. Once we got there, the show became a lot more engaging. It doesn't mean that it was like the best show ever, but relative to the previous part that you had just watched, I think it was a lot better. But the slow beginning, the lack of background info, too many characters, sort of the, the 90s haze, all those together really drag the show down. I think I don't think a regular viewer today would sit through that buildup to get to the space stuff. And even then, they would be so terribly confused by the time they got there. Yeah. I don't know if they would still want to watch the show. On that note, Brian, please, nobody recommend this as a first watch for anyone new to Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely not. So if, if I'm a Gundam fan and I'm watching this show, the first half, I give it a 7 out of 10 guillotines. Wow. If I'm not a Gundam fan then this is easily a 5 out of 10 or lower. Okay, interesting. Because as a Gundam fan, I get more benefit out of it than a non-Gundam fan. Yeah, that's true. I'm only going to rate it as myself on my scale of 5. By myself, I mean, as, as someone that's seen Gundam, you know, multiple times, different series and all that. As unique as this was, I wasn't having a blast. <laughs> so for that reason, <laughs> first I was going to say 2, then I was going to say 3. Three's too generous. Two is too low, so I'm going to give this two and a half out of five guillotines. <laughs> you know who had a blast, Isaac, was Fuala when she went out that tube. Yeah. 
I like how the how the honor guard they gave her since they're inside the ship and they can't shoot their bullets, they just like pull the triggers on like on empty rifles. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, explain to me how she can eat and drink in a normal suit flying through the vacuum of space. Why give her three days worth of food and rations? So I don't understand that punishment at all. Why don't they just kill her? You're basically just asking for her to come back with a for vengeance against you by giving her a chance to live, which is exactly what she's going to do in the back half. I hope so. But like, I, I assume most of the time they don't make it. Like this is essentially, Oh, no. what yeah. are they going to do? You're relying on someone to randomly fly by and pick them up or how, how does that work? I, I think this is just a way to drag out someone's death and be cruel. Yeah, that's fair. It's, we're not going to guillotine you cause you're an officer. So instead we're going to, you're going to suffer slow in space alone thinking about what you did. Yeah, I agree. I hope she gets a good, suit though which I, I believe she does so we'll find out next time on colony drop a gundam podcast <laughs> and i'm so sad isaac because i'm pretty sure my junko doesn't make it much further oh no well you gotta find out brian you gotta believe believe in shrike no i don't have to because they spoil it in the next episode preview <laughs> <laughs> which i really hate when they do that but uh but yeah i'm really sad well that's it for her. It's gonna lose a point next on the back half. Just it's already a nine out of ten at a at a max because Junko's not gonna be in most of it. Adjust your scale to nine guillotines. <laughs> <laughs> nine guillotines and one Junko. Sunrise Bandai, yeah. make me the Junko figure and I'll buy it. I'll put it right next to my Amuro. <laughs> It'll be cool. See the Shrike team. One Shrike. One one gun easy. All right, Isaac. Despite my best efforts, Junko's not going to make it, so take us away. All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail the Zanskare Empire. Good night, everybody.